Welcome to Movie Victory, where all your movies are of. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. That's not. Stop it. What are you, what are you doing? Starting the show. We said we were gonna play a Weezer song, and I would. Yeah, no, I was gonna play a Weezer song. I didn't. Don't you think "Tired of Sex" makes more sense because the movie's so aggressive? Yeah, but this song is about like just you know being out in the sky, you know, where you want to escape from the aggression, which is what I feel like you want to do as I feel you. Like watch that's the, not the vibe. As you as you watch this movie, you want to get out. It's like you're trapped yeah. inside of it, and you're like, "Get me to the door. What am I still doing here?" Um, yeah, this movie's a fucking doozy. <laughs> I can't believe you made me watch it. I, yeah. I can't believe I'd never seen it. I know. I'm surprised you hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. But. Anyway, anyway, yeah, all right, so here we go. Movie victory! Welcome okay, to no, no, Movie no. victory, another exciting episode. We're talking about Virginia. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf today? Um, I can't hear you. Elizabeth Taylor. I can't hear, I, can you stop that? Thank you. I couldn't even hear what you were saying. Directed by Mike Nichols and um, written or based on the stage play by Edward Albee. Um, also, Richard Burton, um, George Siegel, and Sandy Dennis are in this film. Ensemble cast. Only four yeah. people. Um, which I like. I don't like a lot of yeah. actors to keep track of, so I liked... I guess there was technically six actors in this film, because there was two people in the bar that we saw briefly. Um, Barely. Yes, they... Um, I'm trying Sandy to Dennis, though, I was not expecting to see in this. Do you, uh, do you know who that is? Oh, well, actually, I was going to, I guess I'll bring it up immediately. Yeah. But uh, I brought up this movie before, uh, an Altman film that you haven't seen, called one of my favorite two long titles of all time, which is Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Oh, that's right. You have mentioned that. And Sandy Dennis is in it. Yeah. Yeah. Great film. Well, she is great I think in this and I feel like every yeah everything I've she's heard, even better in come back to the five and giant Jimmy Dean Jimmy Dean really well yeah it's way better I'm even more she has a lot more meaty a lot more meat to deal with in, the, in that play anyway continue sorry no you're fine you're fine um yeah I mean she has a part that I think is kind of difficult to um and I think she she does really well with it um but yeah, not the not the star she's, of the show for for sure. But uh, she almost functions as like a her character in Virginia Woolf almost functions as like a, a like uneasy comic relief around these other in, totally insufferable characters. Yeah, we definitely have uh, to do a ranking of who was the worst, who was the best, and I don't know if we want to do categories of like as a person or just just like to watch or. Because uh, uh-huh. I do, I think that most people would agree on who is like the worst person in the play. The dude, uh, the, the husband. Oh, you, right? th- you think George? Do you think Georgie boy, boy is George? He's the worst person. Um, maybe just because I'm a man, and when I'm watching him, I'm like, don't, don't do that, don't say that. I wouldn't do that. So I, I like. I relate to it more in the sense of don't be that guy where you see someone else doing something and you're like, oh, man. Even if you're like, I've been there, don't go that far, you know? Uh, I find him pretty insufferable. I realize that his wife is completely emasculating him the entire time and that's also it's kind of insufferable. 
But, I mean, the funniest thing to me that I thought during this film was that this could never come out now because Gen Z would be like, this is a toxic relationship. <laughs> yeah. We, we <laughs> and it's like, it that's down. the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Within the first 10 minutes, they'd be like, that's really passive aggressive. You know what? This relationship's Unacceptable. not working. They're codependent. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 They have a trauma bond. Yeah. yeah. Uh, These two are trauma bonded and it's really toxic and codependent and I think they should talk through it. Well... Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, if these were... That's that, yeah, yeah, it is true. But that's true. not the point of the film. Uh, but I would say, and I was kind of annoyed, because, well, I shouldn't say I was annoyed. I was a little, I was validated, but I was listening to uh, podcasts about this, as I do um, whenever we do the show. And mm-hmm. Nick, to me, when I was watching it this time, I was like, he is a really bad person. Like, he immediately betrays his The wife. younger husband? Yeah, yeah, his name is Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he immediately betrays his... Uh, his wife's confidence and tells this guy he barely knows about all of this personal stuff. Hysterical and, pregnancy. Yeah. And which also, I did not know was a thing until literally today. Because well, I watched it. Very, yeah. <laughs> oh, you watched it. That surprises me. Yeah. I, I mean, I've I got, heard well, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Let me give you some background on how I consumed this film. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I forgot what day it was for several days in a row. And then I realized at about 10 p.m. last night, oh shit, it's Friday. I had a guest over. And I was like, I have to watch this movie for a podcast. She was like, that's hilarious. Do you want to get high? And I was like, let's start the movie and see if that's the right choice. We watched 15 minutes of it. And I was like, I was like, this movie's about like... It was very clear from the outset. This movie is about an insufferable couple. You know, if we watch this, let's keep in mind, let's not be them. Right? Because we have a good dynamic right now. And so I literally have a female guest over. And then I'm like, oh shit. I have to watch this thing for the morning. I totally forgot all week. Oh, I was going to rent it. And I, oh, by the way, this is the first movie I think I ever had to pay for for the podcast. I paid $2 to watch this on Amazon. That's disappointing. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Well, uh, it's in not, retrospect, it's not too bad. they could have charged me. They could have charged me three. They could have charged me two ninety nine, and I'd be fine with that. It's really good, black so. and white. So I was like, Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to point. Yeah, I want, before I finish my story. Oh yeah, is it Haxel? Haxel Wex? Haxel Wessler? How do you say his name? Wexler, I think is it. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Fucking incredible. I mean, that's actually yeah. the the first thing we agreed on. This my friend that I watched it with was wow this black and white is good and we were like immediately impressed and we were like wow this is a mood already because the opening shot where they're drunk walking home yeah before they start fighting you're like this is gorgeous and they have this song uh, the music dun, dun, yeah it's just, uh-huh. yeah it's, and yeah, so it's like lullaby we were, music yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, there's this wonderful little intro where these two like you know seasoned uh academics are walking home after a party and it's just so charming and it's the the lighting is in fucking impeccable. I mean, cool. We were absolutely stunned by the black and white. We were a little high, but we were stunned by the black and white. And then we watched 15 minutes of it, and we were like, "This is so much." And we paused the movie, and we went and got vodka and seltzer, <laughs> oh, okay. and got drunk during it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's great. I feel like. And that's... then she she went to sleep before like twenty minutes were left of the movie, and I had another shot and finished it. 
Okay. And then and then kind of went back and rewatched the scene where the two men are at the tree swing because I was like, wait, a lot happened here, and I was not fully processing it. Yeah. So I want to preface this whole conversation with, this is the first time I've seen it. I did not get everything because there is a lot of stuff and a lot of layers, a lot of things going on in this movie that I did not pick up on the first viewing. Not just because I was drunk, but because there's so much, so much. The different dynamics between all four different characters are so multifaceted that there was no way I could pick it up all on the first go. So this might be a rewatch for me. I mean, it, it will be a rewatch for me, but I don't know when. I yeah, I totally get that. Um, that's hysterical. That story. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to hear like more about because it is yeah. kinda, it is kind of it's funny. The whole premise of it starts at two a.m. I just love that where it's mm-hmm. like the story happens between like two and we kind of see the sun come up, so maybe two and five, right. six in the morning. Like right, I realized this movie was going to be insane. Like I said, we watched about fifteen minutes, and they start arguing right when they get home. Right, and then when she said. I invited guests over. Right. And I was like, this is about to get insane. And we were like, should we get drunk? Yeah. And well, then we did. Well, it makes sense because they are drinking throughout the entire film. The entire film. Right. And they already, they come home already having drunk. So it's like, drunk a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to think, it's like, okay, they've been at a party from like nine to two in the morning, drinking the whole time. Because when they, you, you can tell they're trash. Like, he's kind of like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we get the famous, what a dump, you know, where she does, where she's berating him because yeah. he can't remember the movie. The reference she's making. <laughs> she's making. And yeah. she's like, what is wrong with you? It's like, what a dump, you know. Um, but uh, Well, that's how I knew the movie was going to be insufferable right away. I was like, I, I couldn't stand the first conversation. Yeah. Like, I realized that... Well, you asked the question of who do you think is the most insufferable character. Most people would say Elizabeth Taylor, right? But I'm talking about... Uh, what I was talking about was, like, who's the worst person? Like, the insufferable person is mm. a little different. Worst person I definitely think is Nick, but we could talk about... Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I definitely think Nick is, like, the... He's not I think he's almost person. too young. I think he's almost too young to be the worst. He's I think just, the other two are seasoned professionals at being awful. I mean, she just... The reason I think most people would say that that Elizabeth Taylor's character is the worst, Martha, is because she wears it on her sleeve. People address what she's doing to them, like when she keeps calling him the houseboy, and she's and then she just says flat out, you know, my daddy's the dean of the college, you'll do whatever the fuck I want because that's who I am. I mean, she lays out her cards a lot, and that's one of the, that's, this is a thing I actually did want to bring up about the film in general is... For a movie that's so filled with passive aggression and spitefulness and these disgusting little things that they say to each other that are just get under your skin even though you're not involved as a viewer. Uh, You know what I mean. Um, But what I'm trying to say is despite that all these characters are so passive aggressive and most of them never say what they really mean, it's all these little these little cuts, these little underskirt things. But they kind of Elizabeth do. Taylor does. Okay, okay. But here's the thing. George Elizabeth does Taylor do a lot though. He, like when he's telling Towards the end. Well, more, the more... he, he's like what are you trying to do? You're going to have her out in the bushes. Like he's saying exactly what's going on and he 
and he even yeah. laughs that he's like oh maybe I will ho 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 and he's and he that's why I'm saying he's terrible like he he knows what's going on and he's right. more than willing to like who cares about his wife he obviously just married her because she th- she has money status and then yeah and then he's more than willing to sleep with this other older woman just to get ahead at his new job. Like he, that's why I'm like, yeah. he's a bad person. Now, are these other people bad people too? Sure, but we're the flaws that we're seeing in them. I, w- I have more empathy for it because they're like, mm. they're in this they're in this war of a marriage, you know, and they've been fighting yeah. this battle for years and years and years. And so this isn't who they really are to everyone, but this is who they are to each other. And like we're seeing in my interpretation, we're seeing this very intimate portrayal of who they are in this their own world and you know, a world right. that probably not a lot of other people get led into or. I mean, something I took away from it, and I mean, about the war thing, first of all, they even say that directly. Oh, they yeah. say, total war, and she goes, total. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, when the, but, the cards are thrown out, when it's kind of like she's willingly to be like, yeah, I'm trying to have sex with this guy. You can try to stop me, I'm, you know, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but here's the thing is, like, what I was trying to get at was when the song comes up, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? The, the main time he starts doing it, where he starts dancing with, uh, remind me of the young wife's name, character. Honey. Do you remember? They don't say her honey. name, but they refer to her they as They just honey. call her Honey, yes. honey Pot. Yeah. yeah, they refer to her um, as Honey. Yeah. So he starts dancing with her while singing Virginia Woolf, while Elizabeth Taylor is absolutely screaming the things he doesn't want to hear. So she actually like breaks that wall several times to the point where he... He even says, and he's like, oh, she's going to say it. Don't you do it. Don't say it. Don't do it. And they both do it to each other. But to me, on this first viewing, Elizabeth Taylor seems like the one who actually says the thing, whereas everyone else always says something roundabout. Everyone else does kind of a reach around verbally, whereas Elizabeth Taylor just pointedly attacks. And they all, you're right, people take turns at, uh, yeah, you know, okay. dropping the veil, but she about, does it the most when you're and talking the hardest. About direct aggression, yeah, because it is interesting. Yes. The uh, uh, Richard Burton character, and, I, and it is kind of fun. There are these things with the names and uh, uh, George and Martha. You know, George Washington mm-hmm. and Martha Washington as like the reference. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick that up. There's tons of fun stuff in this movie. Uh, this time, or like I guess this. From the play. And, it, play, and it is most of it. And I did just I watched a lot of the special features, um, so I've watched most of it. And so most of this is from the play. Like the core story is all from the play. The play is much longer. It's over three hours, or no, it's a little wow. bit less than three hours. So they cut about an hour of. Uh, but Edward Albee himself says this is the. Play. It's a good representation of it. So you know, and then the mm-hmm. the plays all in one place. As in this, they took it out. We changed locations. We went to the bar. We were in the car, right. and we're outside. That was actually one of the things I loved about. It. I mean, I I don't think this has ever come up on the on the show, but I love chamber pieces. Mm. I love single location dramas. I just it's just period. That's it. That's the end of that thought. I just love chamber pieces. I, so I was stoked that they were going to stay at the house all night, and then but then when they got in the car and started driving drunk, 
I was like, this movie's even more insane than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the change locations because it's just kind of like, we're really going to do this. Like, it makes it feel more right. real, real for whatever reason. It's like, I can see this happen. Like, there's so many, because you, like, we're older, so we've seen people have these crazy 2 to 6 a.m. nights before. Mm -hmm. So this is mm -hmm. kind of how they take off. You, you know, you, right. you have an after party with some people you don't know very well, and then all of a sudden you're drinking and things escalate, and you're like, what are we doing, right. you know? And if one person is being self-destructive and and alcohol is involved, it be, it becomes contagious. Right. Everyone yeah. starts becoming self-destructive, and if one person starts becoming passive aggressive, that also becomes contagious just because you're drunk. So you're kind of just receiving whatever the mood is, right? And so yeah, there's a lot of, despite the fact that it's very clearly poetically written. In, in a way that no one would ever really talk, ever. Uh, there's such a reality to the facts of what they're doing, despite the fact that the lyricism of what well, they're, they're saying they're, is totally unrealistic. They're very educated people. That's so, true. So there, there is, I mean, I've heard Edward Albee actually talk about this particular, he was just like, I like writing for these very sophisticated people, and, and conservative, he emphasized, because it's like mm. the academia in this time is very conservative. Um, but true, you're taking poetic license when you're making these these arguments so poetic. Yes, yeah, I, I've said poetic yeah, yeah. twice, but it's what, like, but who, it's like the, is, the lines are so good that you're just like, okay, you know, it's it. But it, but, yeah. but anyway, yeah. If if the movie the movie's definitely early '60s. When's the play? Like the '50s. '62. So this came, oh. this came out like right when the play was still hot. So the play was actually huh. actually stopped on Broadway right when the movie came out. So and the play mm -hmm. won a bunch of Tonys, was super successful, um, and so it was the hottest thing at the time. And Jack Warner apparently saw the play opening night and wanted to buy it immediately, and so. What happened is it, what he did buy it, and you know the idea of making something with the language was an issue, and everybody was like, "Oh, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it." Um, but it it seems like really the star power is what was able to make this movie a success mm. or get made anyway. And then it's kind of cool. Uh, so Elizabeth Taylor wanted Mike Nichols, so that's why he's the director in this. Mm -hmm. um, Which is wild. I remember when you told me last week that Mike Nichols made it. I was like, I didn't know that, and now I want to watch it. Yeah, because he—I mean, he is—he is great, and it's crazy to think that this is his first movie. Because yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. It, there's He's a weirdly consistent director, despite being a little all over the place in terms of his choices of content. Well, he, yeah, he had like a comedy background, I guess, in plays uh, early on, but um, he knew this play already, he loved the play, and apparently Elizabeth Taylor, having never done anything like this before, just wanted a director that would be able to really help her um, with, the, with the acting, apparently, um, because mm. just like Eyes Wide Shut, there's this controversy around these people where Elizabeth Taylor had just... Um, become like the worst person she's the considered like the most beautiful woman or in or at least in hollywood for a long time since she was very young she's never considered much of an actress and she has this terrible habit of like pursuing married men and ruining their marriages and in real life in real life yeah and that, oh. and so she had done that to a different person when she met richard burton um 
uh, for Cleopatra. Richard Burton had been mm. married to someone for 12 years, and he leaves her, his wife to marry Elizabeth Taylor. And so they're a real-life couple in this real-life scandal, and people really hate her. Um, it's like Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little. A little. There's some a little just that they're parallels. The, that they're the most popular couple like in the world right, right then. That is true. They are that. Uh, of course, nobody hated Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman as much as they hated specifically Elizabeth Taylor. Of course, the guy gets Wild. the pass. Richard Burton gets the pass. It's like it's sure. all, all her Back fault. Back in the day. Um, yeah. But so she, Richard Burton really encouraged her to do this movie. Um, he... he is what made her be like, okay, I'm going to try to do it. And you got to give her a lot of props. She put on a bunch her of weight. Her performance is incredible. Oh, yeah, completely agree. I think she is awesome in this movie. I think it's by far the best thing that she does. And I don't even, like, the issues of her being too pretty and too young are not at all, like, not an issue at all in this movie. And I, no. I think the black and white helps because I think the color with the old makeup would have been harder mm. to take. But like um, the black and white, I think helps with the with making her look old. Like I'm not sitting there thinking mm. this is a 30 year old woman. She looks like she's in her 50s. Is she that young in the movie? Yes. Yeah, she is. She, wow. She's 32, I didn't know. That. Yeah. I, I thought she was at least in her 40s. No. So that's. But why. she carries that weight. She car- She she like hunkers around all the time. I mean, she's drunk, too, but right. she's, like, she's like throwing her body weight around through the scene. Every time she enters the frame, she's just, she is the only person in the frame all of a sudden, even if there are other people. Like, she commands whatever the fuck her line. If she has a line, she's the only thing that you're that you're paying attention to. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would agree. She's, like, uh, apparently, I mean, she says anyway, she's not at all like this in real life. Of course, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton really did have screaming arguments all the time in real life and were both um, mm. big drinkers and probably had alcohol problems. Um, from so it's perfect out. casting. Y- yeah, it's not their personalities, but with dynamics of, an, of a married couple. Uh, they, they knew the material. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is what I was telling you, though. It's like he, he, they did get married and divorced. So this is, just so, just so the reference here, I got Elizabeth Taylor's marriages. So she married somebody, Conrad Hilton, for a year, and then Michael Welding for five years, then Mike Todd, and these are all back-to-back for a year. And then Eddie Fisher was a guy that was married to someone else for a long time, and she broke up that marriage and married him for five years. And then... She broke up with him to marry Richard Burton, and they were married for 10 years, and then they got divorced for a year, and then they remarried for two years, and then they got divorced, wow. and then she had two more marriages and divorces. People, yeah. Um, so just a... It's my kind of gal. A volatile... I, I don't I don't want to be negative, because I think she is so much a product of a lot of... Uh, Societal things that she was dealing with as someone that and was, how, sort of how old Hollywood functioned in the fifties and sixties still. Yeah, it seems like she felt like she needed almost like a marriage to protect her in some ways. It's you know right. Yeah, but it's also like it's no surprise to me. You know, I think we talked on the Vertigo episode about Kim Novak kind of like getting out of Hollywood. Oh yeah. After a certain point, and it seems like if you want to stay in it, what am I trying to say? I. I'm saying her commanding performance, which is so believable and so well put together uh, for being such a messy character, 
it makes sense that she maybe was domineering in her professional life also. And that's how she, you know, stayed in the biz. You know what I mean? Yeah, she probably had a lot of people take advantage of her when she was younger, and at a certain point she was like, no more. <laughs> and Right. You know, well, that, I mean, yeah. unfortunately, that sort of thing really toughens you up. Yeah. And makes, you know, you know, the whole thing. Trauma makes you stronger, all this kind of stuff. And it seems like she's, she seems like a person, not even just a woman, but a person who has been through a lot, knows what she wants, and has the audacity to go for it and get what she wants, you know? And uh, I guess in especially in old Hollywood, that's that was probably a necessity. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I have a lot of respect for her for this performance. And I did hear a lot of people say she's like hard to work with and everything. But apparently during the filming of this movie, um, one of the, the sound guys fell asleep during her monologue and like snored a little bit at the end. And when it cut, she said, don't fire that guy. So apparently that, that huh. happened. So not the kind of set like of an eyes wide set eyes wide shut set. Apparently, this was a very happy set for the most part. People uh-huh. got along and people came and like checked out and watched scenes and stuff. There was you know, so there wasn't the crazy hostility um, that we see in the movie on the set from all reports, and that both Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor and Richard Burton were apparently very professional, you know, during the entire thing. Uh, I think the only negative thing I heard about any of the actors was just that Richard Burton had trouble uh, memorizing so many lines because it just wasn't the type right. of stuff he had done before. Um, and yeah, well, because he's a classic Hollywood guy, right? It's like it's a that process is almost like all right, let's take turns. Now you deliver your line because the camera's on you for the next, you know, however long we're how many takes we do. So yeah, this I'm sure this was a lot in terms of dialogue. But isn't isn't Richard Burton a Shakespearean trained actor? Mm, I think he I think he has stage performance before. I don't know if it was his drinking that also affected oh, that. Yeah. I don't, oh yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it says on his Wikipedia established himself as a formidable Shakespearean actor, gave a memorable performance of Hamlet a couple years before this movie. Wow, was called the natural successor to Olivier, uh, and then but then it says, "Oh, Wikipedia's are so sad sometimes." Uh, a heavy drinker, Burton's purported failure to live up to those expectations disappointed critics. Blah 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 blah. Um, nevertheless, regarded as one of those acclaimed actors of a generation, so he did have a background in theater oh, yeah. and Shakespeare. He but should have been able seems to memorize like, those chunks of lines. So maybe it wasn't right, but it, the, it's yeah. a lot. It's 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 a, a it's a mouthful. A lot of his, especially his lines. But I hey, think well, a lot of his dialogue is where it's so lyrical. You're like Jesus, dude, calm down. That story, and I'll just say, like, yeah, this is from other other people I listen to, so I'm, like, trusting their research, so I'm just going to fully admit it could be apocryphal, but, like, a, there, was sure. a, there was one shot in particular um, where the, the photographer shot it with, at the wrong stop, and mm. you can tell in the shot, like, it's really blown out because he had to over-process it, and then, um, mm. um, but apparently... Mike Nichols didn't even ask Richard Burton to redo the shot because he just kind of knew that was going to be too much for him. So that's that was why the memorizing the lines um, came from. 
Um, but mm. but who knows? Maybe there was other reasons why Mike Nichols didn't want him to have to redo right. shots. I did think well, it was... Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if there's any you know trivia on this, but it does seem like they're really drinking. I don't think that Richard Burton is pretending to be drunk. I mean, that seems like he just had a whiskey and now he's delivering this crazy lyrical line. To me, we're, I don't think that's... We're talk- he's at least partially. We're talking about people that do probably drink most of the day in their regular lives. So I right. don't think they're drinking any more than they would normally be drinking. Because yeah, because they're already high functioning alcoholics. Yeah, exactly. So this is just the perfect material for them. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like if they were doing other material, you wouldn't be able to tell they were drunk at all. You know, I guess that's where. Right. I think that they're, like, they're not. Right. If they're toasted on Cleopatra, it's irrelevant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I mean I think that this is just of that generation where it's like everybody. Just you know, starts drinking martinis at lunch and you know, stays drunk the rest of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. But so I did. I did take some. Oh, continue. Sorry. No, no, that's all. Just so, just for anyone that ever listens to this, we do it over Zoom, so there's always a slight delay, so we interrupt each other on accident, like like any good couple. It, like in this movie, uh, which does have overlapping dialogue, which tons, which, which before Altman, I think, did it right. I mean, it would have to be. Uh, Altman starts in the in the middle '60s, right? When's Cold Day in the Park, which has Sandy Dennis, by the way? Oh, um, when is I? Which I haven't seen actually. Laurie, who you might remember from the Swimmer episode. Oh yeah. Uh, recommended Cold Day in the Park to me. He didn't tell me anything about it. He's like, you just got to see Altman's first movie. Okay. Um, which I have not seen. I was just curious, uh, because Altman does get the credit for the overlapping dialogue, but this movie definitely uses it. Oh, it is later. Cold Day in the Park, 69. So, yeah. Because, yeah, I thought Altman was until 70s. I mean, Altman definitely uses it more, but it is in this movie for sure. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's great. I mean, like a lot of... A lot of I, the technical right. aspects in this film, I think, are just superb. I don't have any criticism for... The, the editing, no. um, the, the, every... All. The cinematography yeah. is fucking perfect. Yeah, the cinematography, especially, like, watching the Blu-ray, I was glad I bought it. I was like, I was like the DVD, though, was remastered well. So the SD quality mm-hmm. is still really good. Um, but the Blu-ray, obviously, is, you know, it's, it's better. But, like, yeah, it was Jack Warner's right. kind of passion project. This movie has a fun kind of thing where it... It is arguably the first R-rated movie. It got the R rating mm. kind of invented for this for this film um, to be allowed to because of all this. the curse because of the cursing, right? And you can see like yeah. words that they had to change. Apparently, "goddamn" is more acceptable than "screw you," which I thought was funny. So like "screw screw you" was one of the original lines. But so Mike Nichols was supposed to cut alternative versions of all the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. Why are you throwing stuff at me? This is... I don't know why I'm... I'm What's in the, happening? I'm in the middle of something. Now, now my wife's just throwing pencils and pens at me. I can't... What's the name it of that It doesn't song? seem good. This, is she drunk? What's the name of that song? <laughs> don't you know anything? I don't know what song you're talking about. Did she text you? Did you... Why should I know what song? Did she text you and you didn't see it? Because we're recording? Maybe. What is she... Is she... Dr- she looks drunk. I mean, she is holding that, that bottle of wine. 
All right. Okay. All right. Why don't you just, just, I'll talk to you in a little bit. I'm in the middle of this. It's a good thing she can't hear me because you got the headphones on because I would, I tell her. It's way too early. What time is it there? 4.30? Yeah, it is not Jesus. that late. It, well, I mean, yeah. You know, most people at least, you know, happy hour I mean, is after 5 for a reason. I think happy hour is actually before 5. I feel like that's why they... Or I thought it's usually like oh, 5 to 7. Yeah, right when people like, get off work. Yeah, it's when you get off work, which is such a depressing right. thing when you think about well, it. You should start drinking some water. All right, she's walked away. Good advice. All right. That's good advice. That was okay. strange. That was completely unplanned. Um, Unacceptable. <laughs> um, um, no, but I was going to... I have it, some... So it's the first oh, yeah, R-rated movie, which is kind of cool, uh, arguably. Uh, but they... Yeah. I thought you would like this, but if Mike Nichols was supposed to do cover shots of alternatives for everything, and he just didn't do them. He's just like... He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, nope. they're not going to do an alternative version but there was at least that one overdub line, which you mm -hmm. you could see in editing. Like basically, Elizabeth Taylor never said that. And then if you go back, it, she just says "you," so it was like "screw you" was the original line. And then they just mm -hmm. added the the goddamn. But that was the right. only line I know for a fact that was changed with a different actress doing the voice. Huh. It says Nick is never referred to or addressed by name during the film or the play. That does not surprise mm -hmm. me. He's called... Well, it, that's one way to emasculate him. Yeah. Also. Um, but yeah. Uh, one of the more uncomfortable things in this film, for me, or I guess for any you know, masculine identifying person, is like just the level of emasculation of both the male characters consistently. Not only by each other, the two men emasculate each other also. Not just the women do it to them, but yeah. I have a lot of notes that I took once I started drinking. Okay. Which probably get funnier sure. as they go. I'm just, I'm uh, we could spend the whole time just talking about like your takes. Because I'm, I'm just like, in that experience turning this on, I think it's just so crazy. Because if you know what the mm -hmm. film is, it's just like, you are just... And I didn't. You're generally like, what am I watching? Like the first thing... Or what do you, what do you, what is the mm -hmm. first thing that made you think like what is this what like that you were really like is that gonna happen like I'm just curious like what's the first thing that happened yeah. that made you just kind of be like is this are they really gonna go this far like where you were really the fucking no literally the be like I said okay the chicken I had a get <laughs> I like, had a guest over yeah okay I'm just gonna retell the story I, I heard to set, I heard to set up story. to okay. set up the context okay. I know but I'll I'll now add in the, that point that you're, that's your question okay I have a guest over I as a joke but not a joke ask what day is it and she's like it's Friday I'm like oh fuck I totally forgot all week to watch this movie I couldn't download it couldn't go rent it because it was too late because we I remembered at 9 p.m. and then. I had to pay for it on Amazon. We decided to get a little high. Absolutely adore the opening. We're like, this movie's gorgeous already. This is great. As soon as they get inside, she she provokes an argument about what it you know what is the line? What is this dump? But she's like, what is the yeah? She says, what movie is this from? Is what she's arguing. He's right. talking about like Chicago and then oh, like, what a dump! Yeah, what yeah. a dump! So that is the moment. Her provoking that argument is so real 
that I was like, this is going to be insufferable. I can't believe this movie's over two hours long because this opening conversation is too much for me. And that's when we decided, let's pause the movie and let's go get some drinks. Uh, so literally the first conversation is when I was like, what the fuck am I in for? If it's starting off like this. But yeah, I was immediate. Once Sandy Dennis came into the picture, I started liking the movie more. Because I was like, oh good, an innocent character. I initially thought. Uh, but it reminded me of two movies right off the bat. It reminded me of Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, like I mentioned. And it reminded me... Have you seen the film They Shoot Horses, Don't They? No. They Shoot Horses, Don't They is probably the same era, probably like er early, middle 60s. And it's... uh, They used to have these like roller skate marathons or something. And if you stayed awake for hours all night and you could keep roller skating, you would like win money or something. And it's just insane. I think it was also a play. Uh, but it, it immediately reminded of that in terms of e- exhaustion. Like, this movie is going to exhaust you. And so in, within the first 15 minutes, before we decided to go get vodka and seltzer, I was like, wow, Sandy Dennis. It reminds me of Come Back to the Five of Dime. And then I was like, God, this movie's exhausting. It's like they don't shoot horses, don't they? Uh, so that's my first note that I took. Oh, and I also, second note, I ought to commend you for picking the utmost couples arguing movie. There's no way to outdo this movie in, in the theme couples arguing. I can't think of one. Because it is couples arguing the, the entire, entire unless, duration of the film. Unless you added another couple. Like, if, we're six cu- if there was three couples for five, uh-huh. that would maybe... I don't want that movie <laughs> yeah. to exist. I don't want to watch that. That's why... It sounds unendurable. I had to pick this movie for this topic. I was just like, yeah, it, yeah. it, it, is, the, it is the quintessential movie I certainly think of when you think of couples arguing. Because it's, yeah. Yeah. Couples I, arguing. I, can, I understood why within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so after that and I mentioned that I was like oh Sandy Dennis good there's a foil there's an innocent character until the point where Sandy Dennis drunk on a little bit of brandy starts clapping and applauding and saying violence 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 and and being like yay violence is happening and then I'm like oh oh she is crazy yeah Um, she just has the veneer of being like kind of a sweet sweet old southern gal you know, uh, but that's an insane like it. That moment felt like like it was fucking Eraserhead all of a sudden. Like it felt so surreal, and like it suddenly, it I, obviously Lynch didn't exist yet, but or his movies didn't. But when Sandy Dennis starts clapping and cheering on and just saying the word violence, violence in a happy way, it felt like Eraserhead, and I was just so like both suddenly like way too into the movie in an uncomfortable way and also like completely taken out of it like I dissociated a little when she started doing it and I was like Jesus this is did not see that coming so I love that moment in the movie but for some reason it reminds me of Eraserhead I think because they're also in the empty bar when that happens I could be wrong okay but the bar scene is fucking bizarre I'm trying to remember what scenes okay I I this scene. I was just curious your take when he comes in with the gun umbrella. Like that scene oh my always God. just 
what? You know, it just it happened so soon in the movie too. And then you yeah, yeah. follow him down to find it, and it's in a special spot. He gets the gun, he carries mm-hmm. it out, and you're just like, what is going? And on? she's in the other room talking right. shit, right. telling him his secret, the, the telling story. the guests his secrets. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah, about getting physically. She's physically telling a story about him being embarrassed and emasculated in front of her, mm-hmm. her father. Like how much? Yeah, very. After he expressly yeah. asks her. Please don't tell Please this don't story tell the repeatedly. Story. Right. And, and then leaves the room to go get a gun. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is always, it is kind of the relationship, which it's like she seems to start it, but he always comes back at, with something, you know, you could certainly argue that's meaner than what she does. Like, mm-hmm. when he comes back, it's always something very pointed. Like, he does something yes. very specific like he thinks what's the worst thing i can do to get back at her but you have to admit that mm-hmm. she martha's also kind of going with the worst things that she does that. do to him yeah yeah and i it's whatever they can think of right it's it's the game i mean this is not a with each other yeah 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 that's what they they always call it a game when before they call it a war which is what it really is but it's like uh so there's all these little mini battles right verbal battles throughout the film and you're right he does on an emotional scale, whenever she hits him, he hits back twice as hard. Yeah. I w- verbally. I, w- I would say he does. Even though he's not out of control, even though he does seem out of control at times, he definitely, like, he has moments where he, you know... Everyone we, takes turns losing their shit. Yeah, he has that fighting yeah. scene, which we, ta- we, ta- we talked about, and then at the end when he's like... And yeah, we don't have to go to that scene yet. But um, he, has, yeah. he has some moments where he's a little bit... With the gun, you're just like, it made you wonder. That's what it, see, that's mm-hmm. the moment that I like about Edward Albee in general, and kind of why I was just like, I'm really curious what you're gonna think. Because, and then, but it's the same thing with the moment you talked about with the laughing. It's those kind of moments that make you realize, okay, I thought these were real people, but now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you think about what they're representing and all these other metaphorical struggles that are going on, and you're like, this. Anything could happen in this. I don't know what I'm watching. You know, like you have this feeling of uncomfortableness. Like, and that's what I think. Like that. That's what I think is the best way to describe Edward Albee's stuff. Is like he wants to make you feel uncomfortable, and then he gives you something to think about, and then it's kind of like, mm. all right, now I'm gonna push you again. But like it, because it's disarming. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, because when you get the like, I couldn't think. I couldn't believe I couldn't didn't think about this before, but I was like, I was watching the movie this time, and I was just like, history, biology, of course, he's the history, he's been there with her forever, he's biology, he's the good-looking guy, he's younger. I was like, how did I not think about that? But they make it such a big deal at the beginning mm-hmm. thing, and they argue, oh, he's in the math department. It's like, no, he's he's uh-huh. a biologist. Yeah, and they focus all that time about his physical thing and I'm like oh that's not a realistic thing to talk about in a movie or a play or a movie at all this is this metaphorical like who do you choose as a partner the young person the Mm -hmm. biology or the history the person that you have a relationship with at all and I was just like I was like okay I didn't even think about those dynamics you know but it's it's there's also yeah 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 the the longer it goes on the more obvious it becomes right because he keeps doing it I mean the guy he keeps saying math department. Oh, my wife told you in the math department she can't be wrong, and he's being sardonic. Right. But the guy has already told him three times, "No, I'm not in the math department. I'm in biology." And then he keeps projecting onto him, 
well, maybe one day you'll be in charge of the history department. And then he's like, biology. And so it's, it's just another way to emasculate him. It's another way for the man to assert his dominance in his own house. So there's that at play the whole time, too, right? Uh, but yeah, like getting his profession wrong when you were at literally a professional after party uh, with your co- quote-unquote colleagues who have, you know, superseded you, if only by their tenure, right? Uh, yeah, it's all a fucking emasculation thing. Not all of it, but that's the surface level thing that's going on, I think. Right? I hope that bottle was empty, because you can't afford to waste liquor on an associate professor's salary. <laughs> yeah, when they say associate professor, I literally went oof. I know. I went oof out loud. Yeah, Actually, one of the things like so much vitriol, yeah, yeah. like it's just like I know. It's like associate professor is like the worst thing you could be. <laughs> but they all also yeah they might yeah it might, it's like if he would have said adjunct yeah uh, you know or something it's like it's not even that associate at least you're full time I mean yeah yeah I'd right really, yeah. um but yeah. Uh, She's so mad at him. When he said associate professor with such vitriol, like he said, I literally involuntarily went, oof, like out loud. Uh, I I should point out one thing. The next note that I have here, and I'm getting drunk at this point because there's starting to be typos. Um, The person I was watching it with, after, I think it might have been after the scene with the gun, the umbrella gun, uh, which is quite a tense buildup. And then, of course, total insanity once he reveals it's not a real gun, and then everyone cracks up laughing and is like, that's such a good joke. You made us all think you were going to commit murder. That's so funny. I know. And even Sa- and that's also when Sandy Dennis starts to lose her mind, because she's almost laughing. She, like, doubles over laughing. Uh, and then, but of course, the whole time is because Elizabeth Taylor is saying this, what should be something that is a very private matter about him being emasculated, right? And the person that I'm watching it with, and we're probably a good couple drinks in at this point, literally just went, why do people even have secrets? (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was such a funny take, and I was like, I'm writing that down. Why do people people even have secrets? (laughs) And so that was a... when Around the time that I went, oof... She involuntarily said that out loud, and I was like, that's really funny. So, shout out to, to Sue on that good, one. Good question. Um, yeah, get rid of the secrets. Don't need, mm-hmm. don't need... Then no one can have power over you yeah. for knowing them, right? True. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I guess just don't have any life experiences that you don't want anyone else to know about. Good luck. Good luck, mm-hmm. Sue. Good luck on that. Maybe you've done that. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, if so, that's awesome. I feel like most people so, have not. <laughs> right. So one of the next notes, uh, the notes then are, are sequentially, but they're mostly the second half of the movie. So I don't know how deep we want to get into this. Like, by second half, I mean after the dancing in the bar. A lot of my notes are about that. Okay. Um, and so, but next one, I've never seen so much hate in a movie, mm. is the next note I took. Uh, very uncomfortable. Who do you see, like, hate between? I'm curious. Like, who hates each other in the movie? The, the elder married couple. I, I, think there's, I think there's more so a resentment between the, the age gap couple. I think there's more resentment between the young and the old people for different reasons. 
But I think the elder couple, there's more... I mean, there's a there's like an old quote or like idiom that I don't agree with or like, which is, um, you know, where there's love, there's hate, or you can't have one without the other, which I fundamentally disagree with. But I think this is an example of that idea. Um, I think there's a lot of resentment between all four characters for different reasons. Uh, if only, like, there's not too much interaction between Sandy Dennis and Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, and that's probably, like, the dynamic that it maybe has the least resentment. But there's still some there, because obviously Elizabeth Taylor's just like, oh, you're still young, fuck you. Right? Like, the, you can feel that, even though even if they're not saying it directly. Uh, but I think there's genuine... I mean, like we said, total war is just something they casually agree on at one point. I mean, that... And like we said, speaking with vitriol, all the passive aggression, revealing someone's secret in order to emasculate them repeatedly, you know, there's there's hate there. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I would hesitate. I would hesitate to use the word hate, and th and this is why is because ultimately, and I'm going to go to the end, but I won't talk specifics um, mm. yet. But I, but at the end, when you're a flop comes into the message after she sleeps with the one guy and and then he, he, she tells him that she the only person that she really loves is George and he's the only person that ever makes has made her happy but she doesn't want to be happy and he knows that right and then they have they come together at the end when they're making fun of him and then they start singing together and mm -hmm. then it turns into I just think how many times have they done this? You know? Right. Uh, you know? Well, that's why when you said earlier, like, are you're seeing this, like, unique moment in their life, in you know, this downward spiral, and I was like, one of my takeaways was, like, they do this all the time. I, okay, I would say a unique side to them. Not necessarily a unique moment, but, like, a side to them not a lot of other people get. See, there. I wonder if they're notorious, these oh. fictional characters for doing this with their colleagues and like getting too drunk with at the, the party, saying a bunch of crazy shit, pulling other people into their drama, which is sort of the core of the film is like, not only did they come home drunk and start, for lack of a better word, hating each other verbally uh, and ex expressing it in so many ways, not only do they do that, that's one thing, that's its own movie is like just them being alone and doing it, but pulling somebody else and some other couple into it that's crazy that's next level toxicity for lack of a better word I, in my opinion I agree that they could be doing it to other like young couples like this and specifically George has seen Martha go after men in front of him before and like I feel like that immediately comes apparent when she like immediately says, "Oh, that good-looking guy in the math department. That's who I invited over." And he instinctively is like, "Oh, we're not going to do this again. I don't want to do this again. Like, why? You know, why are you going to try to seduce a young guy in front of me for the nth time? Like, that's what I think. We're watching this. I'm like, he, she has done yeah. this to him multiple times, and in her mind." Right. This is a crazy game we play together because this is Which, who we are, you know. And and he's like, doesn't that? I don't like this game, you know. <laughs> right, but doesn't that imply? Well, she doesn't like any of the games he plays either. Yeah, but 
Uh, yeah, but they know how to play but, each other's games, so they're co right. they're cohabitating. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, in in the worst <laughs> possible way. But um, but don't bring up our son, which is but our to me. Secret. Doesn't that mean that? Right, right. But well, that's a our imaginary son. Have, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have to get into that at some yeah. point. Um, woof. Uh, I mean, that's a. All right. I want to get into that, but I want to respond to what you just oh, said first. Sure. In the same way that Elizabeth Taylor was notorious in her life, it seems to me that this fictional character in the play and movie is notorious if only for the fact of being the Dean's daughter, and if only for the fact that it's very clear from their conversation that, like you said, she is doing this for the nth time and seducing a different member of staff. You can't do that more than once and not let everyone know. Every, everyone knows that she does this, not just him, you know. Uh, so to me, that's, that's, an, that's evidence this is, not, this is not just one night of craziness. This is their life. And their reputations in, the, in their academic setting, whatever it is, people know, even if it's not talked about in front of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I get, I, I was the only point I was trying. I'm just like, there's different sides of people, and the side that you have with two, like another couple, and you act crazy too between two and six in the morning. I'm just saying that's not a lot. Even if you've done it to twelve <laughs> other people or maybe twenty yeah. other couples, I'm like, it's not a huge group. That's all. That that was all I'm saying. It's like a very specific yeah, yeah. part of your personality. Like I'm just in normal circumstances. I bet their students love this guy you know he could have great relationships mm -hmm. and be someone that people that's true that, that's that's all i'm saying like there's this there's this side of them that we're not seeing we're seeing the two to six in the morning where she's the only thing she's interested in is trying to sleep with this younger guy in front of her husband because she's trying to excite him in my opinion i feel like she's trying to get him into her like and you see her like try to get him to kiss her at the beginning and he's like no I don't want to kiss you and there's these all these other things where it's like she wants him to pursue her and he's resisting and so this is her retaliation mm -hmm. to that or if you want to be nice to her that could be going on as to why she feels like she needs to do this um, right I mean we could we could toss around different um, rationalizations I guess for why they're doing this and how they've gotten this far or to this like this depth of a of a low point in their relationship how did they get here uh, and it's because I think I mean there are so many times like I said at the outset where it's just an example of don't be that guy don't be that couple because every couple minutes there's a oh my god are you gonna say that oh you said it you said the you know, right. and you just like, you're so, it's not even embarrassment. Like, I'm not embarrassed for them because they're doing it with such vigor that I'm just like, oh, Jesus, this is bad. I'm so glad I'm not there. It's just hard to I'm watch. I'm so glad I'm watching it with the, si yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I can watch it with the safety of the screen or the theater or whatever, would, but God, I would never want to be there. Would you go see the, in that, the play? Because imagine the play would be even more intense even longer yeah it's lo i would have to be in a very particular mood and i don't foresee that happening anytime soon because you're like trapped in the room with them like I've, i'm like yeah. i'm curious to what that experience felt like uh brutal for, for, uh, apparently mike nichols 
did a perf did a performance of the play as the main character. I don't know if I mentioned that already. I thought that was interesting to no, how much no. he he loved the the play. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure though. But there's there's so many physical things I love. I guess just to talk about a different topic, like from the beginning, you have her sitting next to uh, Nick in a way that nobody else can like sit next to them and so and and she like grabs his leg very early on and you have a uh, george like behind them in the frame and so he notices like her physically trying to like touch this guy's junk like right in front of him and his mm -hmm. wife is sitting in a way that like can see it go on but she's also not allowed to sit next to him and that's early and it and just like the way that Nick dances with uh, Martha's character in the bar, like in front of them, mm -hmm. like those kind of things, just those make me so uncomfortable. Like I'm just like, ah, yeah. oh, that's so. You're like if you're in front of if anyone's ever like, you know, if you've ever experienced somebody like throwing themselves at someone else like in front of their partner of many years, like that's what what this movie is like experiencing. You're just like I'm this is really happening and like this person you know who's standing in front of their their married person of many years you know is just throwing themselves at this other person they just met for whatever reason you mm -hmm. know for whatever reason and we're just watching it and we're just like okay you know um, right well I mean like we said I mean with the whole I'm the Dean's daughter thing I mean a lot of Elizabeth Taylor's reasoning is simply because I can because I know I can get away with it I mean it's it's consciously evil I am doing the thing that I know it's wrong because it's wrong and because I enjoy the fact of it being wrong. She is making an active choice to do the wrong thing and shoving it in their faces and saying, you can't stop me. Ultimately, the battle of the couples has got to go to Martha and George. They get some mm -hmm. dirt on the new couple, you know, and the only things that they learn about George and Martha as we already talked about, everybody probably already knows. And so right. you know, now they know, for one, apparently uh, uh, Nick is a flop in the sack. I'm sure Martha's going to tell everybody that, you know, if mm -hmm. he's an issue in the future to her. And then right. we, you also get the dirt on the wife and, the, and her problems, which could be used against her. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it is... Although, did you think about the parallel between the hysteric pregnancy and their imaginary son? Yes. Yes, the concept right. of not being able to have children is something that you could certainly talk a lot about in the play and how relationships are defined by offspring and like if you don't have offspring you're somehow not successful in the relationship mm -hmm. or even as a woman if you want to specifically talk yeah. about why the women are frustrated. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Well that's why it's so absolutely. that's why it's so heartbreaking and, and soul crushing when in the in life in the phenomenon of if a woman is barren or miscarries or th that's why it's such a heartbreaking personal I mean very physical thing too but emotionally difficult and physically difficult and it's such a I mean it's not something you or I can really speak on even if I know people who have been through that uh, it's like I don't know what that feels like. I'll never know what that feels like you know aside from one degree away and I'll definitely you know? comment that this is more of an old-fashioned idea and you know women can mm -hmm. certainly be powerful without having children um, but I, so I think of course I think that's more but of there's the, still that biological right there's still that evolutionary 
thing in your brain that says this has value and I cannot have it. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not And that's difficult. I'm not fulfilling somehow like my expected role or job as my Right. Yeah. Just as, as in the species. Right. It's not even social right. anymore. Exactly. It's literally purely biological. We're talking lizard brain. Yeah. We're talking you 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 exist not to enjoy yourself but to make another one. That's it. That's your goal. And it's like that's like we said that's not how things are totally viewed anymore but Till very recently, and in many parts of the world, it still is viewed that way. And the, but there's some there's something deeper. It's not just a social function. It, there's a evolutionary, like I said, like your lizard brain is telling you that that's important, right? I would. So that's fucked. I would agree, and also <laughs> I would say the child could be a metaphor for a lot of other things. So I don't think it has to be a literal child. Yeah. So I think you could go that way with the two. Well, um, so, that's why yeah. I think. I mean, that's why this is a huge topic. Right. That could almost that could almost deserve its own episode. So once we start talking about the hysteric pregnancy, which for anyone who doesn't know is a real phenomenon, that I had to Google and pause the movie because it blew my mind. And I was like, "Is that real?" And I Googled it and I did like a little bit of research while drunk midway through the movie, and I had no idea. <laughs> and was like, "This movie would be educational." I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just didn't know. It. I even sent it to a friend. Because we were talking, I talked to a friend, we were talking about, you know, philosophies, like, we were talking about philosophy of mind, basically, and how powerful the mind is, which is true in this movie. I mean, they have a shared imagination of an imaginary son, right? And how powerful it is, is evident by, at the end, when the final game he plays is, I'm going to kill our imaginary son, and you're going to feel terrible emotions because of it. And I have that weight over. I have that power over you now, but it's fucking imaginary. And it just shows like how powerful, like how strong imagination can be, and how it can make you feel things, despite the fact that deep down you know it's not real. Well, sh um, shared imagination, and and just right. to interject, isn't that kind of what love is in a lot of ways? Is a shared agreement of something that's imaginary mm -hmm. and so I guess that's why when we talk when you were talking about hate I see a lot of love for for them as a couple for each other that doesn't mean they're not dysfunctional that doesn't mean they're right. behaving appropriately but I I maybe I mean these are such strong words hate is one of the strongest words in any language and so it's like I understand being reticent to, to try to apply that but I feel like when you say love, I mean, I would hesitate to call what they have love also. If we can't use hate, we can't use love either. And I think they have a bond for sure. And that bond is based on some very, very negative personality traits <laughs> that they share. Uh. Right? They have a bond, and that's sh for sure. And they can be there for each other, like at the end, where he is holding her and they do have a nice intimate moment fucking finally in the last minute of the movie right and she's being very earnest and there's no passive aggression there's complete honesty all of a sudden between both of them and he's taking care of her head on the shoulder the whole bit and what i mean the last well i don't want to get into the last line of the film but what i would they have a bond for sure is it a traumatic one definitely uh, is it based on their really shitty traits as people that they share? Yeah, that too. Is it love? I don't know, man. 
I don't know. I think people get trapped in these kind of these like emotional entanglements, and they're like, "Well, this is what I know. This is what I deserve, right?" And that's a whole different subject of just fucked up psychology. Um, but I, what I wanted to say about the hysteric pregnancy was I didn't know this was a thing. For anyone that doesn't know that it's a thing, it's a very real phenomenon where women believe they're pregnant. They you know they miss their period and they think they got pregnant, and then they they actually physically get the same symptoms of pregnancy and not just morning sickness and stuff. They actually start to balloon and their belly gets bigger despite not being pregnant. I did not know this exists, and that's another example. That's why I think it's the perfect analogy to the imaginary child. They sh- the imaginary child that the elder couple has is a wonderful analogy with the hysteric pregnancy that the younger couple has because it's it shows, again, the power of the imagination. And, like, I don't know. This is a huge topic. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's how I feel about that. Well, you could very easily go to that parallel and be like, oh, that's why the younger couple are really broken, is because their imaginary child they had, is gone. They had to share that. Where George and Martha's was still alive up until mm-hmm. the end of the movie, but then there was some reconciliation, so who knows? Maybe they'll have another imaginary right. child. Um, but but you're right. I mean, that is why the younger couple has this, this uh, like you said, broken facet of their relationship because it's like even though like the older couple it was totally imaginary uh they had to and but they still went through a traumatic event i mean it's 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 like miscarrying but only in your mind (laughs) which sounds strange but again it's a real phenomenon that i didn't know about um and having to share that and console your partner despite knowing it's not real, is exactly like when he kills their imaginary son just to provoke sad sadness out of her, essentially, right? And so, the yeah, it's a trauma bond, both of them. But it's crazy because it's all in their mind. Neither of them are real. And so it's just, you know, it begs the question of, you know, all is mind and all this kind of stuff, which is a huge fucking topic. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying shared imagination is such a strong thing. And this happens in sex, too, with, like, role-play and stuff. You know, people get into whatever their kinks are. We don't need to give examples, even. But, you know, different taboos and stuff, or, like, even the simple, silly shit of, you know, uh, like this, teacher and student. And people role-play that kind of thing, and that's also a shared imagination thing. And that's kind of how couples are Well, that in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's what I would I would agree with that like completely, and that's why it's like what really makes you think about like what is a relationship, what does a healthy healthy partnership even look like, you know, and mm-hmm. seeing these two examples, uh, just it kind of just it does make you ask like what what happens after thirty or forty years of being married to the same person? It's like what it what do mm-hmm. those relationships turn into, you know? And especially, right. and maybe this movie was kind of a wake-up call for people to get divorced more. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm wondering, I'm like, was this at the time period where it's still so taboo to get divorced? I guess apparently not for mm. Elizabeth Taylor, who divorced several times. Um, but at, at the same time, I think that this couple is going to make it. I think that they're going to stay together until they die. Like, I don't, 
I yeah. don't see them breaking up because they're. I mean, it kind of reminds me of. There's also yeah. another gross, you know, toxic bond. Is have you ever seen? Have you seen the film Phantom Thread? Yes. Yes, which I have thought about for the show, which is because I. Oh, I, I, I do. I cannot stand that fucking. Movie. I do really like that film. I thought it was great, but. Um, I I mean, in a technical sense, his stuff is always really is really good. In a technical sense, and of course the costumes and stuff in that film, great. Uh, there's a lot of things, surface elements. But you know, the whole discussion—he's a talented person. Of like what love is, and like that dynamic. I don't. So. I don't like watching. Despite him being a good actor, of course, seems silly almost to call Daniel Day Lewis a good actor. But uh, <laughs> one of the greatest actors of the last hundred years. Okay. But yeah, he's all right. Yeah. Um, and especially in that one. But his character fills me with such disgust that I only saw it once and I was like I don't need to watch that again I get it especially with the ending of course where the their real toxic bond which is she's gonna poison him and he loves her because of, like the, anyway that's similar in some ways to this dynamic that Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor have it's like and like you said after 40 years of marriage or whatever can you imagine how deep those sort of more negative bonds can get and you start thriving off of that because it's you know, whatever feels more real, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. Um, What's the term for that? It's Hodgkin's disease, right? Is that what it's called? Where people like pretend that other people are sick in order to um, like heal heal them. Like, oh no, Hodgkin's disease is a, is just a kind of cancer, <laughs> okay. like lymph nodes. Okay, well then I'm completely. But wrong. I, I know it's what you're talking about. There's something. Specific term where people like they they'll say their son or daughter is sick sometimes and take them to hospitals and like make them sick. Psych psychosomatic? It's no. it's a psychosomatics when you do it to yourself, not somebody else. Okay. I'm gonna look it up. When Munchausen's. Munchausen's. That's why I was thinking Hodgkinson's. Another yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Munch yeah, Munchausen syndrome, psychological disorder where someone pretends to be ill or deliberately produces symptoms of illness in themselves, which is a thing that like kids do. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, there were times where I just didn't want to be at school, and I, you know, again, a great example of imagination is very powerful, and I would simply like method act being sick, and I remember one time in middle school. I was maybe in seventh grade or something, it was sparing, and I, I asked to go to the nurse, and I had worked myself up during whatever class it was, and I got to the nurse, and I like had a little bit of sweat, and the nurse was like, yeah, you're really pale, you need to go home. And I took my temperature, I had a slight fever, like literally just with the power of my own mind, I was able to produce the illusion or the symptoms of being sick. Oh, by the way, which is a great line in the movie that Elizabeth Taylor yells at Richard Burton, and she screams, uh, truth or illusion, George, doesn't matter to you at all. Which is like, sums up a lot of the whole toxic shared imagination stuff. And just his way of looking at life, he doesn't care, he's just playing the game. Anyway, yeah. Munchausen's. Yeah, Munchausen Jeez. by proxy, I feel like I've read about when I was younger, and I was just like, that is so messed up. And uh, with Phantom Thread, yeah, and, anyway, mm -hmm. it's it's a fascinating thing that really happens, and uh, 
the mm -hmm. proxy one is like so terrible because you normally have these moms like pretending that their kids are sick and you know go, taking them to hospitals right, right. and anyway anyway um but yeah for sure but that's i do like that in phantom thread um because i like that those relationships i think are more common i guess than people realize where you need to treat the other person to like have a good relationship with them and so you allow yourself to be poisoned so that you can make them happy and i think in a way that is what's happening in this relationship mm -hmm. and i would say that george is the one willing to do the sacrifice in the beginning to make her happy he knows that you know she's going to just seduce this guy in front of her and sleep with him she, he knows it's going to happen and he tries to stop it he even tells him it's going to happen to try you know where he's talking to him um, with his burger story uh, I'll have a burger with the bourbon, you know, at the swing sets. I don't know if you remember that that long story he tells about the the guy who asked for a burger when he asked wanted a bourbon, and then everyone in the place just kept on making fun of him. And oh, I'll have a burger, and then the guy never spoke to anyone again, and like lived in a mental hospital for the rest of his life or or whatever. Mm -hmm. That messed up story. Um, yeah, yeah. That I guess is what his book was going to be about that he couldn't publish and <laughs> right because her father emasculated him about it. Yeah. yeah. So I forget that's the core of the story also. Well, him being a cuckold and emasculated. Yes. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was one of the first things I thought in the movie when there's the like I said the beautiful intro where they're walking home drunk and they seem to be getting along but being a little silly, maybe a little catty, and she keeps calling him a cluck. Right. You're such a cluck. And then all I could think was like, is that the word for cuck in the 50s? It's Are you calling him a cuckold it's a, in a cute way? It's a play on cuck for sure. That is for sure right. the reference there. Um, oh, something else I noticed. Cuck and things like this get used on the internet now. And I feel like Gen Z thinks that they invented the word simp. But she calls him a simp more than once in this movie, and it is exactly the same thing that it means today, 60 years later. It's a man that tries too hard to please a woman. That's a simp. And she calls him that when he's doing that, like twice. And it's, that's, that's when I was like, I think cluck does mean cuck. Like, I had that inclination, but she just called him a simp, and I'd never heard anyone say that before, you know, 2015 or whatever. But apparently that word's been around a long time, and I did not know that. So this movie was educational for me. I learned a lot. I imagine... But language. Most of that dialogue, <laughs> it comes from... It's directly from the play. So that is it is always yeah. interesting. Where, like, I was reading um, The Invisible Man, and it has the word hipster in it. And I was like, okay. And it's used exactly mm -hmm. the same. It's like, this isn't a new... When is that? Uh, is that in the 30s or 40s? The 50s, I think, is it Invisible Man. 50s? Oh, well, that makes sense, because the beats... They, the Beats used the word tipster in the 40s and 50s. Before that, it was hepcat. I mean, being hip in general was like from, you know, Depression-era jazz kind of stuff, I think. Um, yeah, but... But before I forget... But, like, the term, like, how it was popularized later of, like, oh, a hipster is someone right. who... Right, and then became a pejorative. Right, right. yeah. But it was, so, it was still... Oh, yeah, we same. had hipsters. But what's interesting is... The way that that morphed through the 20th century is so funny. So you have hip with early with early jazz, and then like hep cat when people start like you know playing bongos and the reading poetry and stuff, and then uh, like the generic bohemian from the 40s, 
and then the beats come around in the 50s and it's hipster now then in the 60s it changes to hippie right and hippie becomes a pejorative obviously like these fucking hippies all the way through the 70s and in the 80s baby boomers who used to be hippies were suddenly rich and they became yuppies so it went from hip to hepcat to hipster to hippie to yuppie like it's just so funny how that changes over time right anyway well for sure yeah if you're a person that like went through those changes if you personally went from that <laughs> I think that would be pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty bizarre to be like you know at yeah. first I was a hip cat now yeah. I'm a hipster then I'm a hippie now I'm a yuppie I think I just love how American slang ch- is always changing and morphing and sort of evolving like American slang is English slang in general is so weird and so just like pun on top of pun until you're five steps removed from the original thing and I, I just love that shit, so I guess I notice it. It is crazy, like, where you watch an older movie and it does have kind of slang in it, or... And, mm-hmm. and you don't... Like, there was nothing in this movie, I, I would say, I didn't understand. Like, I definitely had to, like, kind of think about and read what people thought about, like, the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, like, what's that supposed to mean? Because it's so pivotal. I didn't know that was a pun. The, well, By the way, <laughs> sorry, my entire life when I would see the, like, the DVD of this and like Elizabeth Taylor screaming, I thought she was Virginia Woolf. I thought this was a movie about, about Virginia, Virginia Woolf being a crazy, because Virginia Woolf was also a crazy right. woman. it's true. Let's not forget. And then like, I think the reference also has to do with like how stream of conscious the movie is. But anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to say I was wrong my entire life <laughs> and thought this movie was literally about Virginia Woolf being a crazy woman. That does. Until, yeah this morning until 1 a.m. this morning I thought that <laughs> when I watched this movie I when I first watched it I did not know what it was in for and when like I saw it I just could not stop talking about this movie because I was just like I can't believe this exists and no one's like told me about this movie before I was just I was so blown away <laughs> by how crazy it was and how old it was and how I'd seen it at the library so many times and be like man that, that movie was just at the library my wife told me <laughs> that she watched this when she was a child. Like, just just picked it up. Jesus. Picked it up. Didn't didn't really know what she was getting into. She just like uh-huh. just, like turns it uh-huh. on. She probably thought it was pretty, but she's just like they're just shouting at right. each other. This <laughs> right. right. I also definitely saw the DVD at the library many times. Like when you don't know what you want to rent, and you just like scan the whole alphabet. On the, on the shelf and you get to the W's and I'm like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and I definitely looked at it more than once and was like I don't want to watch this woman scream but you look at the cover and you're like I don't it's supposed to be good you're like okay I know Virginia Woolf is famous I know these people are famous right right but you don't know yeah but who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is just who's afraid of the big bad wolf like you get that in the song they sing mm-hmm. they're just doing that and then yeah it's a pun Virginia Woolf you could say is a reference to um yeah, what we talked about, like, the, the difference between reality and illusion, which is really what this film is right. about. So who's afraid of a Virginia Woolf, you could interpret as. Who's afraid of reality? Who's afraid of illusion? Or who knows mm-hmm. the difference? Where you could definitely say that this movie is about one character trying to bring them into their, the other person's reality. Yes. Like, in, in yes. base reality. Or just someone yeah. else's, yeah. yeah, the shared imagination thing. R- yeah. Right. And so... That is kind of how I, I guess I interpret the title now, but it's such yeah. a weird thing that and happens in the movie where you're like, okay, I don't, why is this a thing that you're saying, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Like, why is it a thing? You're just like, 
All right. I well, one one thing that that reminded me of a couple of thoughts. One, Virginia Woolf did go crazy. She lost her mind eventually, and I think committed suicide. But uh, oh yeah, she fit. This is one of the craziest suicide stories ever. Did you know that Virginia Woolf just put a bunch of heavy rocks in her pockets and walked into the sea so that she would drown and not be able to get out? She just filled her pockets with rocks and walked into the ocean. I feel like I've heard that story before, so I, I believe you. Yeah, I, I did, very I did. poetic way to go. But she's also notoriously, at the time, she was considered one of the greatest stream of consciousness writers, just period, that existed. I'm sure there are many there are many people who have tried their hand at stream of conscious with a lot of success. Well, but her and Faulkner for, are the American masters, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but one thing, you mentioned this this reference that we kind of don't get just because we weren't alive in the 50s and 60s, right? Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, making a pun on it into Virginia Woolf, uh, all the implications of that. And one thing that that specifically reminded me of, and this movie in general, have you seen Cassavetti's Faces? No. Maybe maybe I have. I feel like we've talked about it before. Have you convinced me to watch it? It's point? similar. I mean, it came out a couple years later, w- much smaller budget, and it is just like two couples getting drunk and, you know, insanity ensues. It doesn't have as much vitriol as this movie. I don't think any movie does. <laughs> but... But faces is very, faces would be a good one for couples arguing, actually. But there are tons of jokes that they make, and they start cracking up, and you're like, was this a reference in the '60s that I just don't get? So it has that thing, where like, it's dated only in that way, because they're making pop culture references that are 60 years old and are so out of fashion that you have to like do research to figure out why it's funny, which makes it not funny anymore. Right. There wasn't um, too much. I wouldn't. I would say the Virginia Woolf. No, just the title. Just the title. Just the title. But, In Faces, it happens quite a bit more. Okay, I'm looking at Faces now. Yeah. I remember a handful of times where they start busting up laughing at something, that's like you know whatever a pun on some topical you know song at the time, and I just didn't get it. Uh, I'd have to watch it again to figure out what they were, but but Faces is also hard to watch. I kind of don't want to <laughs> don't want to do that. <laughs> Uh, I'm definitely not going to pick Faces for next week because it would just be this, like, a diet version of this movie. Um, I, I do think that this movie... Although Faces is good on its own for very, very different reasons. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would say this is one of the movies where I don't... I think it takes the... Here, I'll, I'll start over. There, there are some movies that do something um, and then another movie comes around and it, or along and does it better. And I don't think that mm-hmm. that's happened to this movie. I think what this movie does is no. it's still the best version of it. I think it's really very watchable for the the editing, the music, like really breaks it up some. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lighting, the li- yeah. There's a, a the pretty black and white alone is just is great. And then some of the handheld shots are just fascinating on a technical level. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that you could watch this. Like, the dialogue itself is its own thing. Like, you could just read the play and be entertained. A lot of people do. Obviously, it's a well, well-known well mm-hmm. play. Um, but the and that's why I'm saying, like, you could just focus and appreciate the visuals in this and, you know, kind of ignore the argue, arguing and get a lot out of it. So I, I, I don't know right. another movie, because I, I know it's upsetting and it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, but by the time I get to the end, I'm kind of okay with it. I don't know how you felt, but mm-hmm. by the time I'm in the end, I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. like 
I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, like I don't like no harm, no foul. Even though they just destroyed that other couple, but our two main characters, yeah, they're gonna be fine. And I guess that's a positive, optimistic outlook on the future of marriage. I, I mean, I I don't know how to really take that, but it is, and it, it's kind of similar to Eyes Wide Shut, like that, where I'm like, okay. You know, they have all this happen, and then they're like, okay, now we're going to, you know, let's have sex now. And, like, that's the end of the movie. And they're like, oh, I guess they're going to be okay. I mean, that this is the same kind of ending where you're just like, yeah, is she going to do this next weekend? Maybe. But, you know, they're still going to be together, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, like you said, the, despite there already being so much quality across the board in the play, the, the layers that Mike Nichols is able to add with the camera and Haxel Wexler I can never say his name Haxel Wessler yeah uh, who also did by the way he did like he, he's one of those weird ones where like sometimes he didn't do the whole movie like he he's one of the cinematographers on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest he's one of the cinematographers on Days of Heaven okay so he has a he has a weird career um, but this one is maybe the best thing I've ever seen like, his name always stuck out because I was like, why is this photos, why are these photographies so good? And so I, like, I was aware of that name. Uh, when, when I saw it in the opening credits, I was like, that's why this opening scene is so fucking good. Um, and, but there's a, a really cool thing that he does a couple different times that, I mean, who knows if it was Mike Nichols' idea or whatever, but, and he does it for different reasons, where he will unfocus just a little bit. Like when, I remember when Nick, the younger uh, husband, is in the grass drunk. And he's like rambling about something and he, and he just seems so drunk and they unfocus. It blurs just a little and they come back. It's just such an expressive way to do it. And it happens again, not because Elizabeth Taylor is drunk. Yeah, they unfocus briefly on Elizabeth Taylor when he tells her the son is dead and I love that they unfocus because she's like barely processing what, what's happening she's like so out of it at that point emotionally and I just love that they, they don't even rack focus they just blur it to show like wow she is losing grip you know and it's such a cool move I, I don't know I, lo I loved that just and it only happens for a couple few seconds uh, but I like I loved it, and it's just such a smart way to do that. Anyway. No, I, I couldn't agree more with, I mean, some people, the people who criticize this film, it's, I'll just say, most people love this film. It's universally loved for the most part. Um, but criticisms I have heard is that it's too heavy-handed in the editing and in um, the camera work, and I couldn't disagree more with those comments because it's I, I yeah. feel like it, that those things add so much to the play it's like you see so many other other people film a play and you just you have the camera and they're going at it and it's fine yeah, or whatever yeah. this decided to actually do the job of what a film can do or can add is to give you mm -hmm. the reaction shots and have you focus in yeah. on how people are responding to what's being said in an interesting way and yeah and yeah but that absolutely i think uh two things i, I also disagree with heavy-handed it's i can i think that's a weird criticism because okay if i could draw a distinction it's not that the movie's heavy-handed it's that it's on the nose 
And like, which was something my guest that I watched it with said. She's like, wow, this movie's really on the nose. But we talked about this after. I talked about it with her afterwards. And I was like, but is it heavy handed? She was like, no. No, it's not. Like, we had this literal discussion this morning mm. about it. And we were like trying to figure out why that is. We're like, okay, so it's not heavy handed, but it is really on the nose. And we were like, wait, what's the difference between those two things? And we didn't really come to a conclusion, but we like kind of sat there and like thought about it for a minute. But yeah, I think if to call this movie heavy handed is to miss the point, or just or it's that's sort of a shallow dismissal of it. Where like really, it's on the nose in the sense that the characters are are saying what what we're thinking about them. So it's on the nose in that way, but it's not heavy handed because. Heavy-handed would imply that it's like bludgeoning you over the head with it, or that it's and, unearned, and it's, that it's not, yeah, that it's not realistic. Right, yeah, and I don't, right. I don't get that, and I, I get on the nose where they're like, it's very pointed to every, like we talked about, like the names and the departments that I mentioned. Yeah, those are mm-hmm. very on the nose, or the hysterical pregnancy, very on the nose. There's all, yeah, yeah. all these things, these elements about but it. But it's also a perfect analogy, right. so you can't get mad at it. Right. So, but, uh, but at the same time, you're like, well, that's just good writing good writing picking yeah. the exact right example to use but it could be bad writing if the dialogue didn't work and the dialogue does work and i'm sure you know the acting has a big part of it i'm not you know i'm not going to say it all has to do with the playwright um, but it is just pages and pages of dialogue that these people are just yeah. going back and forth with and it doesn't feel labored when you watch it, you know, my take anyway, like I'm engaged with what they're saying and it does to me feel like they're coming up with what to say, like at each moment. And like, you know, it's not at all like watching Mm -hmm. Shakespeare or something, which, you know, for the most part people do poorly and you get that like waiting for the other person to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, despite, despite the characters speaking so eloquently, uh, which sometimes alcohol can lend itself to. Um, sometimes you're just uninhibited to the to the point where you just say exactly how you feel. But you're right; it does seem like they are reacting to each other. They're like you said; they're not taking turns speaking. They're absolutely. It's it's coming at like that logos that thing is just coming out of them organically, because his wife just said this because the husband just said that and they're like well fuck you i'm gonna hit you right back right and the and so it does have that tennis thing to it yeah absolutely and the audience is the people in the room and like just thinking about it like that's the difference like so much in something that like i would call heavy-handed or too much dialogue i'd be like oh this dialogue is for the viewer you know like you start realizing that never in this movie do i feel like the dialogue is more for just the person that they're talking to or the people in the room. Like all of the lines are so specific to do something to get a a reaction or to gain something from the handful of people, the three other people. And which is weird about the film because it's like such a bizarre world that the characters live in that we're like, I guess Mm -hmm. getting invited to come along with. Right. Well, it's like the audience is the victim. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They're they're the other couple that just isn't talking in the cor- corner. Right. Why this? Yeah. All yeah. Exactly. It's like yeah. 
yeah, yeah. where the audience is waiting for an exit right. strategy. They're like, oh, okay, uh, they're not gonna I'll get. see you tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'll yeah. see you at work on Monday. Um, Bye. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's no point where, well, like you said, they're they're playing to the audience, and but the the dialogue does feel so spontaneous and and organic, despite it being very lyrical which I think them all being very drunk lends itself to that. And so it's it's good, I'm trying to figure out what to say. Um, it's good writing in that sense. Obviously we agree, but I'm trying to figure out like, so that if the audience is a victim, why why do we keep, say, oh, that's it. Okay, Munchausen syndrome. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's, the audience has the illness, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that that the couple the co- the toxicity that the older couple is is imposing on the younger couple. It's like we are all that younger couple when we watch it, and we're having to endure this. And it's okay with the Munchausen syndrome thing. There is a term, a word that I learned that I think is Mexican slang that I learned in California, and it's a bujo. It's B-U-J-O. Okay. And it's it's Mexican slang and a confidence trick in which the victim is falsely diagnosed with a curse or other ailment which can supposedly only be cured by the trickster. And I was like, there's a word for that? <laughs> right? Uh, I was like, how often does that happen in Mexico? I was like, concerned. <laughs> well, um, good con. But I just thought it was such a... Yeah, I thought... Right? And... That's similar to like in Phantom Thread, a little bit. I'm the only one that can heal you, but I'm the one that poisoned you. Right. You know, it's like the pharmacon thing. Like the poison is also the cure, which, as we know, is a way that people talk about alcohol. Like there's the you know that's like a Simpsons joke where Homer says, "Ah yes, uh, like beer, the problem and solution to all of life's problems," or whatever. However, I, I I butchered the joke, but that's the gist of it. And so in a way, by having to endure their awful poison, their verbal poison, the poison of the alcohol they're drinking, and that's why the audience is the victim. They're literally, like, making the audience sick by having to sit through it. But again, you're cured by the end of it, because by the end of the movie, you're like, that was pretty good. (laughs) I'm glad I watched that. Just like getting drunk, if you're not too hungover the next day, you're like, yeah, it's worth it. I don't know. I I just figured that out on the fly. I did not plan. That's not in my notes here. But yeah, the the term buho blew my mind. You know, like when you find out there's some word in German or Japanese that like describes something very specific and you're like, there's a word for that? Anyway, fun fact. Yeah, schadenfreuden, I feel like, is always the one that people use. Schadenfreuden, yeah. 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 Um, but there's there's crazy ones in like Japanese haiku poetry where like one word means like the specific way that the blossoms fall in autumn and it's like four syllables and you're like what? <laughs> so I don't know other languages can do crazy things but they also kind of reveal I always thought it was interesting like the word coquette I always thought was interesting because it only refers to women and I'm like oh this is such a sexist like word oh, coquettish to, to exist because yeah. it's like it's about a flirtatious young woman who like doesn't um, like make good I guess you could say like a, a I don't know I think in false. I think in this day and age <laughs> yeah in this in this day and age with with gender being so uh, spectral you could definitely have a coquettish twink 
I'm just saying, like, what you know the what word like, <laughs> is defined as is like, a, yeah, 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 like, yeah, but yeah, it's sure, a, it's a decidedly feminine quality. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it just shows like this negative view of women by men is and basically it's mm-hmm. a word. Yeah, yeah. But. And you know what? This movie, Who, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, doesn't help that that stereotype at all. <laughs> Uh, of negative views of, of women or, or of women. women yeah I mean Elizabeth Taylor in this movie is the reason some of those views exist I don't she is ru- fucking ruthless and like I said has there's a there's a sort of conscious decision to be evil and to do the wrong thing for the wrong reason because I'm gonna enjoy it and because it's gonna hurt you because of schadenfreude I'm gonna enjoy your suffering that's a lot of this movie at least with the older couple and it's like to me that's just woof I don't know if I think that she's as bad as you do. I guess I do know. I don't think she is. It, okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I, as an example, a note I have here. But the guy is just, is like is not doing any favors for for men. I guess, I yeah. guess I'm just like if you. Uh, no, you no, no, no. They're both yeah, awful. I'm just like they're all bad examples of, of human beings. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm saying the older couple reinforces the stereotype of why the the drunk intellectual academic is an awful person why the spoiled daughter of a rich person is a terrible person, this kind of thing. And one of the things that's very telling is an interaction between Elizabeth Taylor and George Seagal, the the younger husband, Nick. And the interaction is, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. And then she says, you're in no position to set the rules around here. And he drops his head and says, no. And she goes, good boy, you'll go far. That's like at the end. And I was just, yeah. that's another moment where I just went, oof, yikes. I mean, she is just abusing her power and status every moment of her interaction with him. That's what... And that's what I'm yeah. saying. There's a conscious decision to be bad for the sake of it. I do think right? the movie's a lot about class. I guess that's what... I, so I'm like, when we're talking about the sure. of men and women, I think we're looking at a very specific conservative upper class couple like in that oh know, yeah I think it's more about power dynamics pro- than it is about right. gender yeah I would agree and they're both privileged and the women are the privileged ones in both relationships because they have mm-hmm. you know with the girl it's money and with the um, with Elizabeth Taylor it's just power with the dad and so that mm-hmm. that is kind of like and I do I think uh, yeah, I think very easily most people when they talk about Edward Albee in a play like this, they're gonna also talk about Tennessee Williams and in his plays about these other kinds of dominating women. It's just um, mm-hmm. you could almost say it's like its own genre in in play playwriting where you have these right. awful women as like character studies because this this play is definitely but a, again it's wielding study. power right yeah dominating like families dominating relationships and um Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean the overbearing mother is another trope right you know the over controlling mother is another just fictional trope well it's it's real mothers that tennessee williams and i don't know fred edward albee for sure but i would imagine as well had in his real life yeah Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it all comes from somewhere. Right? Yeah. Even if you're observing someone else do it. Well, um, maybe them, and I'm not going to say that being gay necessarily has to do with this, but, like, being a homosexual... Oh, is Edward Albee gay? They're, yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. they're both gay writers, and so they had... Oh, Tennessee Williams, yeah, too? Yeah. I didn't... Oh. Okay. 
Sorry. The, yeah. The, Sorry, I didn't yeah, know that. Pretty common knowledge, but it's okay. Um, I'm not going to give you give you any trouble about it at all. Uh, but yeah, they are. I don't. I don't actually care about people's sex lives. I just think it's they're they're just well known authors. I've read about their personal lives. Um, but, Vivian. Oh my god. Jesus. <laughs> scared me. You going to go okay. take a bath? You good baby. Father mode. <laughs> but um. Anyway, no, yeah, I'm not like obsessed with their sex life, but uh, I do. Their life, Tennessee Williams. Oh no, I wasn't suggesting yeah, that. I was just saying I didn't know. Tennessee Williams is fascinating because he's he went to the school that I taught at, so I was like always kind of like, oh, I'm, mm. I want to read about him. But then when you read their stuff, you realize that they both have this women dominating characters as like a mm. reoccurring thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to be a homosexual to have that, but. Uh, Having, I think being well, also, also being Jewish, I think people always associate with, with right, those. So right. there's other things, but that that's just a happens to be a reoccurring thing in both right. of their. Well, I mean, I think being homosexual, at least a homosexual man, does give you more of an insight into that that kind of femininity, even if it's a toxic femininity of the overbearing mother or whatever. But yeah, no, I can Well, you can that. never please your mother if you're a man like that because you're not going to give her children. Mm. And so that's where, I, you know, you could say basically it comes from um, because that is like the pressure of like, oh, you need to marry someone to have children for your mother and take care of her. And, you know, you're mm. just never going to be able to do that. Now you yeah. can. But, uh, which is another part of this movie, you know, the trauma of losing a child, right? Uh, or even not, or, or again, not being able to have one, having an imaginary child and losing it, all that. Which, uh, which is, you know, and must be just an unbearable thing that, of course, can affect the rest of your life. And people, apparently, even if you only imagine, have it. interpreted this play to be about two homosexual couples. Apparently, Edward Albee has hmm. refuted that and said that that is not true at all. I've had gay characters. I can write gay characters. These aren't gay characters. They're conservatives yeah. in academia. No gay people right. you know, are openly. I think that's why, uh, and again, and I in no way was trying to suggest that you were you know, trying to figure out someone's sex life. It, this is just common knowledge, like you said. I didn't know, because uh, I'm well, not that well-versed well, in theater. But what, what, what I want to say is, uh, one of the reasons that I kind of shy away from even finding out is like, oh, well then I'll always look at their work through that lens. And I'd rather just take the work as it is and not be like, oh, well, he's gay. I wonder if these characters are hiding that they're gay. <laughs> Like he yeah. had to. It's like you always you always put that perspective on it afterwards. You know that like context that's maybe not really there. I I uh, don't know if I think about that, but that's just a personal preference. Y that yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, for me, I just think that oftentimes gay um, people in general are just not. You know, they're not represented very well. And like somebody like Tennis Williams and Edward Albee are, if not the most recognized playwrights, they're they're one of some of them, you know, you know, especially like Tennessee Williams mm -hmm. for a long time was the playwright of to a certain generation, and so I just think it's kind of insane that people or like Oscar Wilde, like people don't the common knowledge Oscar Wilde that like these yeah. people that are huge cultural influences are homosexuals. Like mm -hmm. that bothers me that people aren't oh, aware yeah. of it. You know, I mean, fucking Walt Whitman, right? right Walt Whitman, exactly another person. Right. Yeah. 
James Baldwin. That one's well known. I knew that one. Okay. Right. Ginsburg, obviously, but those aren't playwrights. So. Was supposedly, but. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know but that. But not open about it because of obvious reasons. But because the era. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, but kind of um, like Walt Whitman. I think James James Baldwin is a weird one because he was open about yeah. it. Yeah. But James Baldwin's one of the bravest people I've ever seen or heard talk. But that's a different. We don't have to get into that. But that's um, yeah. But that's pretty admirable. Um, but yeah, when you look through lenses throughout history, um, yeah, th- and that's really the only thing to me. I'm just like, look at how much different fields were dominated by these minorities, and they're just not really mm-hmm. given credit. I guess that's kind of what the point that I'm coming from. And so, yeah. Um, but certainly... Well, also in Hollywood, I mean, there's jokes in Hollywood about, like, the gay mafia runs everything. Right. You know, in, in different areas, whether, you know, in so, sometimes in, uh, for instance, in New York, there's there's quite a lot of this where it's like there's, um, you know, the Jewish mafia right. runs politics, essentially. There's a lot of Arabic men or Muslim men who own a lot of real estate, you know, and there's a lot of gay men that run Hollywood, right? So, the, the, yeah, these stereotypes exist. But it's a it's never the whole story, right? Anyway, that's a very different yeah. Topic I know. I'm just not going to comment. Uh, <laughs> I might I, yeah. I might cut that out. <laughs> I'm just saying this is a this is a comment that exists that people make. I'm not prescri- I'm not prescribing uh, to it. I'm saying this is a thing that people talk about. Um, yeah, and this that anyway. this just makes me feel old because I'm just like, oh, I remember growing up and not knowing any of these famous people were gay uh-huh. and that it was such a rare thing. Cary Grant, right? I didn't know Cary Grant was gay till recently. Which my wife will say that's not true, and I'm it's like, no, I've, that's another I've, open I've secret. Read about it. People yeah. will say he's bi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you. Oh no, it's definitely yeah. he. And probably yeah. Marlon Brando too, but. Uh, also, did you know that? Did you know that? Uh, oh yeah, Marlon Brando's definitely bi. I think he was fairly open. Ab- yeah. Lack laxidate lackadaisical about that. Right. Richard Pryor. Well, apparently, actually. yeah, Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor had a sexual relationship, which um, I think yeah, Richard yeah. Pryor's um, daughter has has reportedly said. Let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, we don't. We're getting into gossip. Let's. Yeah, we don't have head. to. Um, I feel like it's, and I'm not trying to gossip about people. I just think it's sad that you have um, these people in open yeah. sight that weren't really allowed to be who they really were, and so then you you grow up in right. a world that has these lenses where these people don't really exist and. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I think that's like the Cary Grant one is a good example of that because he clearly felt being a, a leading man right. in old Hollywood, you, you can't reveal that because then your audience looks at you different and you can't get the same roles. I mean, there's even there was even a joke in old Hollywood that Cary Grant is the worst kisser hmm. because he had to kiss women right. <laughs> in movies, right? That's the joke. And, me, and then he would go to the beach with his you know, similarly buff uh, boyfriend. But anyway, we're getting into old Hollywood gossip again. Do you think that that is still true, though? I'm curious, like, where, if you're a leading man... Um, are there any examples of it? Like, contemporary examples? Well, that's what I was just thinking. I'm like, there's not a lot of gay... Kevin Spacey's not really a romantic lead. And he didn't come out... Jodie Foster? Like, he had to because of the abuse allegations. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Jodie Foster? Yeah. Maybe. But she... She's also not really a romantic lead. I, I think women are. I think there are some women examples. I don't know of any men examples yeah. though. But it. But it. I guess I'm just yeah. kind of like it's still kind of true. Like if you're a gay man and you want to be a leading actor, you probably want to keep it to yourself if you want to do action movies and romantic comedies. Sure, yeah. sure. 
But anyway, yeah. which is just kind of sad. Anyway, I don't think there's any of that in this movie. No. Rich, Richard Burton is certainly a, a man's man, a drinking man, all that. It would. Although George George Seagal is a little fey, but yeah, <laughs> but that's his character. I don't know if that's him. Yeah. Because he's usually kind of a goof in other movies. He's got he just he's got an interesting performance. I think he like I know he is kind he of does. comedy, but he like he's really good in this. He's so young, but yeah. Mm-hmm. He's well. He's such a he's such a puppy. Right. In a lot of the movie, I mean, one of the things that that like bothers me in the movie is uh, when they start calling him the houseboy, and like, man, if if that motherfucker Richard Burton told me to go fetch, I would I would uppercut his ass. Like that made me so mad. And then it's so sad when George Segal just does it, just hangs his head and is like, "This is my life." And I'm just like, oh. Why does he do it? Like, what what does he realize happened, though? Because he knows he'll lose this thing that he's worked toward, which is his career. I I guess I read it as almost, I mean, there's that, you could say, logistic. But to me, I'm like, he's lost. He's been dominated and bested by this other man. Mm -hmm. man. Like, he thought he was winning because biology, he was going to, you know, get in there and and make a good physical showing. Um, But apparently he's quite a flop. And she's all. No. all she, George doesn't even have to um, do anything physical for her to like come over to his side, and so history right, wins right. by default almost. And so the, I, I, uh-huh. I have ideas. I like that. Well, that's interesting. That history wins over biology. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, because I was also trashed by that point in the movie. By the way, and I've seen I've seen this before, so it's not like yeah. I, I mean, I'm coming into yeah. it already, kind of like knowing the points that are going to shock me. And I I mean, especially while I was like I was when we talked last time, I was like, ah, oh, I'm curious how you're going to respond because it is when you when they are actually like having the affair. I guess we've talked long enough; we can get to it. Like when they're or you, I don't even know if you want to call it an affair when she's drunkenly ha- um, having sex with. Uh, Nick, you know, in in the room in the window, and you can see it. And then George like mm-hmm. bangs on the door, and then breaks the door open, and goes up, and then realizes it's happening, and then just starts laughing hysterically, and then comes out of the room, and then just stops laughing and starts almost crying. Like to me, that scene just like wrecked me when I first watched it's it. Brutal. Watched it, I was just like devastated like just as much as i don't like george just to see someone <laughs> like emasculated in this way it was just yeah it's yeah. hard it's hard to watch um, but then the same thing happens to nick in like a half an hour, a half an hour and you're just like i don't know we right. got it worse <laughs> just like, i mean it's all yeah. it's all the same it's all the same um different different degrees of the same thing i mean who knows how how well or how badly they're taking it. You know, do you ever get used to that sort of thing? If it happens more often, does it get worse? I don't know. I don't get emasculated very often, so... <laughs> um, that's a very domineering thing to say. Uh, but um, I do want to talk about the very end. One of my last notes here yeah. is... Um, it's like suddenly, at the end of the night, he is in pow- George is in power with all his games... Right. And, uh, but I like how we're just talking about it like it's a war movie now. So George has won at Yeah, this yeah. <laughs> George has won the last battle. Yeah. 
essentially. And the final battle is the the. It's hard to call it a reveal, but the decision to murder their imaginary son. Well, but the reveal, and then oh, one of the most shocking fucking moments is when then Nick goes, "Oh God, oh I understand now. Oh God, I understand." Like freaks out, and like suddenly gets, "Oh my God, the kid's been imaginary the whole time." But she's still reacting as if it's real, and so he, that moment where he starts like grabs his head and says, "Oh my God, I understand," in terror. That fucked me up. It really that moment and him repeating it a couple times fucked me up even more. Actually, great performance by uh, Nick at, on in that part. Really good because he just looks devastated all did, of a sudden. Did you, Do you suspect? Yeah, I remember that scene for sure. Did you suspect beforehand that the child was imaginary? I guess I'm curious. Almost the entire so time. You already okay. So what? Almost the entire why? time. They never give the kid a name. Okay. They never, every time they talk about it, there's a weird air. I mean, me and the person I was watching it were like, that kid doesn't exist. Initially, I thought they were just fucking with them. Mm. Because the way it's brought up is, she comes back in the room, excuse me, the younger wife comes back in the room and tells the older husband, your wife just told me about your son. And he goes, oh, we're playing that game, are we? Well, he. So from right off the bat, I was like, oh, now is he going to keep up this lie with, with her? And he sure does. And he takes it to the brink. You might remember this, but actually they bring up the son before the couple comes. And he, and really? he tells her to not bring it up. He's basically agrees to oh, God. her coming over and, uh, or excuse me, the other couple coming over. And I feel like he's like accepted that she's going to throw herself at him. Yep. But she, he has one thing he asks her is, don't bring up our son. Don't. Just don't bring up Which our gives son. her power to to even request it gives her the upper hand. Okay. Right? Sure. To, to me. Yeah. I mean, you could... I you think. Could, Knowing her character. And then she immediately brings it up to the mm -hmm. honey when honey is sick in the bathroom and they talk. And then honey tells us as they come down. And so you're right. I'm, I'm surprised you thought that it was imaginary because I don't think I've ever seen anything where the character like the, the son is like imaginary before like I definitely thought watching this that the son was going to turn out like dead or something and that would have been less mm -hmm. interesting there were moments yeah, where I was yeah. uncertain and I thought oh the kid just died he really was 16 but that's how old he got and he's 16 forever now I did think that mm -hmm. I was in I was uncertain along the way okay but when it was initially introduced to me I was like, oh god, they have a shared lie, and they're gonna fuck with these kids by talking about it. And so, like I said, when she says, oh, they told me about her son, he's like, oh, we're playing this game, are we? You know, and like, I could t I knew immediately, or knew, I guessed correctly immediately of like, fuck, this kid is, doesn't exist, this is a lie. I could tell it was a lie. That's impressive. That's yeah, it. I'm just like the the fact that because I I think that's one of the more interesting things about the story in general is that the decision to go with an imaginary child is just like so many things. And I guess I think of um, like you mm -hmm. know there's a Robert Frost poem about burying dead children. There's the Sam Shepard play yeah, Buried yeah. Child. There's so many things about dead children ruining relationships and marriage. And so for this mm -hmm. to go with the imaginary route, I just think it's is an interesting choice to not, you know, go, go yeah. to that yeah. 
well-tilled ground of being like a dead child between them. And it, let's yeah. subvert that in a very strange way. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, but again, I think one of the points is like how shared imagination is such a strong bond between people. Is is part of that. It's you know not all of it, but but yeah. I mean, when I was watching, actually, remember how I said dur during the him the admittance of the hysterical pregnancy bit, right. how I like paused it because the the girl that I was watching the movie with was like, yeah, that's a thing, and I was like, wait, what? And then I like sort of drunkenly like paused the movie, googled it, and was like, holy shit! Like, you know, researched it for like two minutes and was like, this blows my mind. And then while it was paused, she and I talked about. She was like, it's just like their imaginary son. And I was like, like my brain exploded. <laughs> okay. And so she was actually, we had both already thought like, oh God, this imaginary kid thing at the beginning. And then when the hysterical pregnancy thing, we had a brief conversation about it. And I was just like, oh my God, that's brutal. Uh, so yeah, both, both her and I were convinced the kid was imaginary. And like every time he came up, we were like, oh God, this again? So yeah, I don't know. But she's a, she's a very perceptive person, so I'm not surprised she picked up on it also. Yeah, I mean that's a that's anyway. a great insight to have because then you could you could look through the movie through that lens a little bit better where I think most most viewers are going to get that reveal and have to rewatch it. Shocked. To, to, yeah, it's a fucking curveball. Yeah. Yeah. Being like what? No, and I, it, I picked I picked it up as soon as they put it down. I just I thought they were lying. I just felt that it was Well, you're a lie. right to not trust anything they say. They give you, especially <laughs> right. when you rewatch it, you realize that it's like they give you a lot of reasons to not believe in any of their stories or anything they say. So it's, mm. so it's like, yeah. Well, well, they're also clearly fucking with each other. Yeah. Like, not only are they fucking with the younger couple, especially the younger husband, but they're, well, I've already said it. They're clearly fucking with each other more so than they're even fucking with the couple who they're terribly fucking with. It's like there's no there's no other way to put it. Um, I do I do want to talk about the very end where he sort of wins the final battle and then they the younger couple leaves and then there's for me the only real intimate the only moment you could really point to and say that's love. And he's she's devastated, he has devastated her on purpose. Um, which is awful, and don't do that to people. But it's like in certified copy, the, the, you know, just I need a shoulder to rest my crying head on. It's that moment, you know, that iconic thing that we all have to do sometimes for people. And I, I just, I love how their final convo, after being so eloquent and so verbose and so toxic, the whole fucking movie, I love how their final conversation, when she's resting her head and he's actually being a responsible, emotionally responsible person and husband, and is saying, yes, let me coddle you while you feel bad. And I love how they start speaking only in ellipticals, and they totally understand each other. They, they're not even finishing sentences anymore by the last two minutes of the movie. And the last thing she says, the last thing that is said in the movie is she just says I am because he's he brings he says who's afraid of Virginia Wolf Virginia Wolf right and then she says I am I'm afraid and then she the last thing she says is I am and to me that's like this huge metaphysical statement 
And she's like, I am alive, you know, I am being, I am becoming, and it hurts. And at least you're here to hold my head when it hurts too much. And so all that's in there to me. Because he's asking, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And she's like, I am. And, and again, you know, the whole bunch of references, Virginia Woolf, stream of, quintessential stream of consciousness writer, and, and, you know, therefore by saying she's afraid of Virginia Woolf, she's... Uh, she's also saying that she's like afraid of the stream of consciousness itself and and not to not to mention their whole fucking shared imagination thing and that scares her and their fictional son and they have all these emotions tied to it and like but they're really you know really you know all his mind and she fears that and I don't know there's just it's a not it's a I don't know what else I'm, I'm rambling now but it's just I feel like there's so much going on there and the fact that these two very eloquent and pointed, you know, very verbal people suddenly start speaking in ellipticals, and yet they finally understand each other, and they're not fighting for once in the movie. And that's the only tender moment in the whole thing, where they're not being shitty to each other, and they're barely even speaking, you know, full sentences anymore. And I think just her saying, I am... I'm afraid of Virginia Woolf and finally being vulnerable with him is like such a it's the saving grace of a totally insufferable cast of characters to me it's like if it weren't for that moment I would be like god this movie is way too much but they give you finally after two hours of making the audience the victim (laughs) they suddenly give you this little bit of respite and are like here here's a moment of tenderness between these people but it's also that so much weight to say, like, I am, I am suffering, essentially, is what she's saying, right? Just like Virginia Woolf, who killed herself. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot. There's so many, like, by that time, there's so many fucked up things that are interwoven in her admitting that she's afraid of Virginia Woolf and all the things that means. And it's just like, ugh. And it's still a oof moment. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling now, but that moment... That seals the deal for me. I mean, I can respect a lot of things in the movie, but if they didn't have that moment of tenderness at the end, I wouldn't like it as much. If they just ended on a shitty note and went to bed angry, I'd be like, oh, fuck this. But the fact that they unexpectedly gave me a moment of real tenderness and really showed, actually, they do care about each other. They're just in a fucked up cycle. Then I was like, okay, great great job love it and so yeah like when it's over I'm like I'm glad I watched that despite the fact that it was totally just the gravity of it is so obnoxious anyway that's how I feel about that (laughs) no I think that's a good point because I mean like there's complexity to the relationship that if you don't have that tenderness that you see hints at at the beginning by her Mm -hmm. and that but then you don't and then you see her telling so there's hints at tenderness and then you finally see it in that scene where he's comforting her and yeah when she's saying like i am i am i almost i almost get the sense of like just her being afraid of like reality like afraid of actually Mm -hmm. dealing with the real issues of their marriage and the relationship it's like why do they play play games so that they don't have to deal with absolutely the the actual relationship that they have which is not Mm -hmm. great by all accounts and uh 
And so do I think that couples do this? Uh, I hate to be a person that answers. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is such a real dynamic that exists in a lot of households. And if anything, that's what's kind of scary, but also enlightening about the film, where I'm like, I'm mm -hmm. sure people watch this that, well, this was them, you know? It's, and right. and do, has marriage evolved maybe a little bit since this time period, since 19, the 19, early 1960s or... You know, I guess if you think about Edward Albee creating the characters, it was probably earlier. Um, so in the 50s, at least, he's thinking, um, and I'm sure these are real people in his mind. I don't know if he borrowed from, probably did compiled characters like most writers do. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I think that's what, that's yeah. why I think this film is great. I guess we can go to reviews. is because I think that this is yeah. a, is kind of a, thing that we want to look away from we don't want to admit that mm -hmm. this is a real possibility for a lot of couples to mm -hmm. turn into relationships like this and, and and maybe not this extreme but it's part of people's dynamic for sure and I think you know we talked about complexity a lot and like kind of not being able to put it into words with certified copy which is a way gentler movie than this is but uh you're right. The, that last conversation, you know, and her also being afraid of reality itself, and like, but she's also afraid of the shared imagination thing because it has power over her and all this kind of stuff. And so, it, when she's just saying "I am afraid," and that tender moment of admittance, it's like I said, it's so complex. That's why I couldn't really a minute, a minute ago I couldn't really put my thought together. I kind of had to like I had to stream of consciousness and be like, oh, but all this is happening too, and yeah. oh, but the Virginia Woolf reference and blah blah blah. Uh, so it's that moment is so like densely complex where she just says I am I am afraid and finally being vulnerable and yeah it's it's almost hard to talk about because it's like where do you even start you do like have to make bullet points of all the things that that means that we've built up over the last two hours which is why it's very good writing he fucking drops your ass in it you know at the very end um, the... I almost want to play that scene in like and like just the because they suddenly start speaking in just three forward sentences to each other. Did you have to? It was. You had to. Yes. I don't know.
There it is. Um, but And just like in the beautiful moment in Certified Copy where the older man tells the younger man all she really wants is for you to place your hand on her shoulder and tell her it's going to be okay. You're, or just silently show her it's going to be okay with, with that gesture. And that's exactly what he's doing in that scene. He's just placing her hand on his shoulder and saying, maybe it'll be better. And that's really all she wants. The slightest reassurance. Like I said, to me, that's the saving grace of a movie that is filled with that much, you know, aggression. Because some movies, there are movies that have a lot of, you know, hate or anger or whatever we want to call it, passive aggression, all that kind of stuff, that just leave your ass in that mood. Like I said, they could have just gone to sleep in a angry after a fight, but luckily <laughs> he's kind to the audience at least at the end and it's like okay here here's the sweet moment between them so to me that 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 helps <laughs> that puts a little bow on it and goes okay like that was that was i already knew the movie was good for all the reasons we talked about technical stuff and the writing and the character development and all this kind of stuff uh but i i liked the movie more because of it. If this, if this movie had had a shitting ending, I can guarantee I never would have watched it again. Despite respecting it. But the fact that there's the saving grace at the end, I'm like, okay. I respect it even more. Now. You know. Because that's more real, in a way. The apology at the end of the night after a fight is more real than going to sleep angry. Somebody's got to do it. No, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Especially because it's like, there are certain films that yeah if they're just kind of upsetting or make me uncomfortable but they don't like do anything or teach me anything or give me any insight or lead mm -hmm. me anywhere then i'm kind of like you made me uncomfortable for no reason <laughs> you know to what end right, right. yeah I'm yeah like, okay i'm out of my comfort zone now i just don't want to watch your film i'm so it's like in this film yeah. i'm uncomfortable get but i get why and i'm like okay thanks thanks for telling me because if I, cause right. if I can't be real with my relationships, this could be a, a reality for me. So I need to, mm -hmm. so it is in a way, it's like a warning to be like, you know? Yeah, it's a cautionary tale. Yeah. Like I said, it's don't be that guy. Don't be this couple. Right. Learn from this and try not to do it if you're in this situation, you know? It's that, and I think you're right. There are directors and writers who are just kind of shitty. Uh, not that they're good at what they do, but don't, you like you said, you don't learn anything from it. Like Gaspar Noe is somebody who has a pretty shit outlook on life, and sometimes the after the movie's over, it's not rewarding. There's no insight, like you said, that you gain from it. Whereas, and like, you know, Lars von Trier is accused of this. In some of his movies, that's true, but some movies, there are valid insights. I don't know if you've seen any Lars von Trier stuff like Breaking the Waves or Dancer in the Dark, but, um... But there are rewarding it, like like Dogville or something, which is a brutal film. Uh, I think has some rewarding insights into human nature and this kind of stuff. Um, that's a great one that plays out like it's it's written for the screen, but it plays out like it's a play. Um, anyway, uh, not related to couples arguing though. Okay. Um, but Michael Hanukkah is also accused of having a super pessimistic outlook but I would say that he has some insights into human nature also which somebody like Gaspar Noe just doesn't 
uh, anyway, it adds the tenderness and that kind of thing. The re- the insight, the reward adds adds a new a different depth to it. It's not you know like I mentioned Gaspar Noé is just like it's usually a pretty shallow take, and it's like you said, why make the audience uncomfortable if they're not even going to learn from it, right? Um, and it's more that I don't have as much respect for authors that don't love their characters. That's like just a personal thing for me. Like I'm just I'm mm-hmm. like if I ever read anything where I just feel like this author just hates this person, I'm just like, why why did you author why? choose to write about this if you don't mm-hmm. have any genuine interest or passion besides just dislike for this type of person <laughs> right. right right and so it's like are you just getting like you know Brady Snellis is accused of this it's like oh you hate these people yeah you're just a hateful person you know and I think that's why I don't like some his stuff well um, although I can respect some of the prose but there's a term for this when the author does do it well which is hateable but relatable oh, okay a silly rhyme but you can you you can understand that like oh this character is an awful person, but they are relatable in these different ways that we can all see and hopefully learn from in a cautionary tale kind of way. You know, we get to watch this person make a mistake in a fiction so that we don't make it in our own lives, blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's a lot, and we're, we're way over two hours. Yeah, it's fine. We can finish here. I don't know if we want to do ratings or we want to wait and redo this episode sometime in the future I don't, I don't know what do you how, how do you want we I we don't have to redo it anytime soon uh, but we can yeah. like years from okay now. let's just <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to do this movie again anytime soon okay that's fair because it's a lot yeah I, emotionally I'm tempted to, I haven't watched the whole thing with the commentary I don't know if I'll try to listen to the whole commentary or not but Mike Nichols does do the commentary mm-hmm. with um, uh, who does he do it with he does it with another tr- famous director um, David Sodenberg I think him and Sodenberg do the, the, the oh Steven, Steven Soderberg? Soderberg yes I think they do the commentary Steven Soderberg's funny because he's he like is a guest commentary on a lot of people's stuff really? like even his own movies he has another director talk to him about it and I think I, I saw an interview one time and he's like I feel like it's just boring if I'm the only one talking I'd rather have somebody asking me questions so that I'm prompted to be like oh yeah that's what here's what happened on set here's why I made that decision and I, I kind of like that approach I think Soderbergh is a very very smart guy uh, yeah I just double checked yeah. it is Steven Sonberg and Mike Nichols yeah. the com- not surprised yeah. um, so I don't know I yeah. might listen to that if I get an opportunity um, I did find the features really interesting. Uh, they have like an hour-long one on Elizabeth Taylor. I might watch, um, yeah. but yeah. I watched it streaming on Amazon, so I don't have any of that. Yeah, no, you're fine. Okay, but, well then. But worth the two dollars. Okay. Is my take. Okay. My takeaway was absolutely worth the two dollars, and in fact, I shouldn't tell Bezos this, but I would have paid more than one ninety-nine. I would have paid two ninety-nine. Three ninety-nine's pushing it, but I would have paid another dollar That's for this. Per- Knowing the reward at That's the end. That's pretty reasonable for um, an HD rental. I feel like normally they're automatically mm-hmm. four dollars. So I know I thought it was going to be three ninety nine. I was pissed. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Um, when I saw it was one ninety nine, I was like, fine. I won't wait for it to illegally download. Yeah. That's fair. Whatever. I also watched it last minute because I forgot, as I as I mentioned. As for the, I can I can give a rating. Okay. 
My, it's definitely a plus for all the reasons we said, but it's a plus with an asterisk in bold, which is like, I will have to watch it again. I have no idea when that's going to be. Could be years from now. Definitely a plus for all the technical aspects and all the writing and all that stuff. But yeah, asterisk and bold on that plus of like, gonna watch it at least once more before I die. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. You definitely had a memorable I, I, It could be a star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be a star. Well, it's fair. It's only your first time seeing it. And so I'm, I'm impressed with how much it worked out for your evening. I would imagine turning this on with somebody. Yeah. I guess I would assume that would. Well, like I said, after about fifteen minutes, we knew what we were in for, and like we were like, let's let's get. Yeah, time. that was the right move. Yeah, so, I, I think yeah. so. Uh, uh, so I get th- I get that. Yeah, for me for me, I guess it, it's maybe a foregone conclusion because it's like, oh, this is my pick. But yeah, th- this is definitely a star for me. Um, and I, I would say I, I don't know. I would be open to my mind being changed about it, but. Uh, I think it is the culmination of so many factors work, working well together, and I think to me that is what a clear star is. When you have great directing, great acting, um, the gr- great cinematography, and a great writing, like you have that all together. And we didn't even talk about, but the the guy who did adapt the screenplay was also a great screenplay writer. He wrote North by Northwest, and so you also had mm. this other other oh. great person involved too even though he's primarily him and uh, uh, Mike Nichols are editing Albie's story um, but it, most people oh my god he also did Sound of Music right the year before this it was weird was I know sad. I just heard like a loud bang of some kind so I did not know this Ernest Lehman who adapted the screenplay also did this this is incredible yeah North by Northwest he also did The King and I, Sweet Smell of Success, West Side Story, and Sound of Music before he even got to this one. So this guy's a this guy's a switch hitter. This guy can hit him out of the park. Yeah, he's done a lot of amazing movies, yeah. all very different. Like giving me that list, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. King and I is very different from Sweet Smell of Success. When's the last time you saw Sweet Smell of Success? I uh, don't remember. That's Sweet Smell. Of... Uh, Tony Curtis, Burt Lancaster, Black and White. Noir, kind of corrupt, like a sle- uh, corrupt like newspaper man. I only saw it once. I asked because I haven't seen it for, I don't know, 15 it years. It sounds really familiar, but I'm like, I'm not like remembering. I remember as in, I, I had a big noir phase, which actually has never ended. I'm always in my noir phase. And I remember finding that one. I think Criterion put it out and I saw it then and was just like, holy shit. And would, that's, I would totally rewatch that. Uh, but yeah, apparently okay. this dude that wrote "He Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf" also wrote "Sweet Smell of Success," which is, in my memory, is great. I don't, you know, I remember the feeling of watching it. I don't remember much of the content, but I remember being like, "Wow, this one." It's got a lot of good people in it. Um, okay, yeah, I feel like that. That's anyway, so that's that's sidebar. That's one to see. My real question, David, what does the science have to say? Um, the science definitely was a little bit mixed. It wasn't a very clear uh, rating, um, but it was still still mm. a star um, because I think the black and white, wow. had, you know, was the edging over it. So it's um, this is a movie victory. It's, movie victory. <laughs> did you have, did you have something that just said movie victory? I feel like I heard. Or did, did you just say that? 
Um, I just said okay. it. Yeah, that sounded like a soundbite. Um, but yeah, so... You're welcome. I think just the combination of the star power and um, the black and white made this... <laughs> played this as... Yeah, the impeccable direction and... Uh, and cinematography for me really takes it up a huge notch and actually I wanted to bring this up earlier when I brought up come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean Jimmy Dean my favorite long title in history although don't be a menace to South Central while drinking juice in the hood a very good long title but not as good of a movie as Jimmy Dean anyway the thing I love about chamber plays or chamber pieces is especially in movies is I think it's more difficult to have really expressive and interesting and experimental camera work when you're inside the same four rooms of a house, you know. And I think that is always really impressive to me from the, you know, directorial point of view where I watch this and I'm like, holy shit. Or like I said, with Come Back to the Five and Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, there are things that Altman does with mirrors and like suddenly it's a memory and not written like... And you're just like, wow. But he stays in this little, you know, whatever it is, soda pop fountain store, whatever it is, this like nifty 50s, whatever they, I forget what they call it, a soda soda shop, soda jerk, whatever it is, um, outdated lingo. And, uh, but like his, his camera work is like innovatively insane. I'm just like, I had to like rewind and be like, what did he even do there? And I think it like, it shows when a director really knows his camera really well, like in this movie, where Mike Nichols is just like, it's, I can't believe it's his first movie. It seems like he's at his top of his game. Because some of the camera work in this movie is like, I was just like, wow. And I know a lot of that credit goes to the cinematographer, but you never really know whose idea it was. Was it Mike Nichols' idea or Hexa Wessler's? Were like, what if we shoot it this way? But anyway, that's why I love chamber pieces in general, because a good director with a chamber piece is like, wow. Because they, they all, you have to, when you're squeezed in a tiny room with four people, you have to think of a weird way to shoot it. So anyway, I'm just putting that out there. I love that. That's why this movie could be a star for me, if I like, studied it a little more. I do, yeah, I would, I would say it goes down easier the second second time and third time. I feel like the more times you watch it, the more you're not going to get caught up in the like emotional thing, which is probably the most draining mm-hmm. way to watch it. Uh, it's pretty intense. Um, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, it, it, it is very much reminds me of like Greek tragedy almost in a, str- a strange way. It's like yeah. it's... Yeah, because everything is an analogy or to something else and these classic right. dynamics of men and women fighting and which I, I'm curious Battle of the I'm sexes. curious to read the play now I'm like oh maybe maybe I'll buy maybe I'll buy it and set it somewhere I get around to it um, but I was I was listening right. to a podcast where this guy said that he read the play and watched the movie at least once a year or I was like maybe maybe the movie was like a once a month thing and the play was a once a year thing but I just thought that was Jesus. insane to uh it seems masochistic yeah i mean if it's your favorite I mean, thing i mean we love eyes wide shut so a lot yeah, of other people are like that's, that's true. too much so yeah that's fair yeah fair point but anyway yeah so what are we doing uh, next week well i'm gonna send you this link in two weeks i just sent a little short film that i discovered recently by king v king vidor who did a lot of famous silent movies 
and this is his last movie he made and it's basically like his philosophy of life his outlook and he's it's in in a tongue-in-cheek way he's like this is why i'm so good at silent films because this is how i view reality and i discovered it on youtube and it fucking blew my mind but it has a lot to do with what we're talking about the shared imagination thing and how powerful you know we talked about munchausen syndrome and all this kind of stuff you know hysterical pregnancy Anyway, so I thought of this, and, I was, and it's only like 20 minutes, or maybe it's under 30 minutes. I'd be curious to do a, like a short episode about it. It's also just really coolly, like it seems like this guy was fully retired, and was like, you know what, I'm going to pull out my 8mm camera, I'm going to film a bunch of stuff, I'm going to write out my view of life, <laughs> and I'm just going to make this short film. Because he did everything. He did, you know, the sound, he does the voiceover, he shot it. And so it's great. And it seems like a found footage movie, but you're like, oh no, he purposely made this shot for this while he's talking. Anyway, it was a cool YouTube find. It's called Truth and Illusion by King Vidor. Vidor? Vidor? I don't know. Anyway. It's his last movie, and it relates to a bunch of the stuff that we talked about okay. with this movie. My pick is still Scenes from a Marriage, by the way, and I'm throwing this short film out as an option. So I want to do that. If you get around to it, okay. Truth and Illusion, let me know. Okay. And then maybe when I'm in New York, if I'm like, if I have a day where I'm like just gonna hang out at my Airbnb and not like to have stuff to do, then maybe I can squeeze it in. But yeah. All right. Well, I'm interested to watch it, whether we have to talk about it next week or not, though. It's fine. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Well,. I guess we'll take a break from Movie Victory for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or who knows? Maybe all these episodes will be coming out at the same time. <laughs> right. It'll seem like no break to our listeners. That tends uh, to be how I do it. I end up editing. I don't edit anything for right. weeks, and then I bl- bang out three of them in a row. So, Right, yeah. Yeah, so that could be very re- realistically what happens. Um, all right, well, I'm excited. I have not seen this classic, Scenes from a Marriage, which everyone talks about. Um, the only thing I know about that's kind of related to this film is that John Lithgow had an affair with the woman that stars in it because he writes about it in his book um, and he just talks about how he was drawn to her because of how um, how amazing she looks in this movie huh. so I don't know if th- that is all but he I read his book which he's it's it's fascinating he's had a fascinating life um, but he's one of the few actors books I've ever read about that kind of admits that actors stage actors anyway I'm sure also um, um, movie actors have affairs with the people that they star in romantically right with, and Liv Ullman incredibly common Liv Ullman by the yeah. way is the actress yeah he talks about her and him doing a part together and him like really saying I'm not going to do this again but then ultimately having an affair with her and then yeah. it being like really more messy mm-hmm. than any of the other ones he had in his life and then eventually got divorced from his wife and married some old Hollywood gossip I mean not even Hollywood oh right yeah it's out (laughs) out of the states I did did, yeah well just Broadway because I didn't even know that about Lithgow that he really just considers himself primarily a Broadway actor yeah I didn't know that either I guess that's I guess that's what he's done most of his life Mm. yeah uh yeah he's been he's been in everything um all right. All right. 
not 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 referencing John Lithgow. Yeah, but after, when I read these actor books, him and Alec Baldwin just fascinated me because both of them wrote primarily about their Broadway work being like the things that they were the most proud right. of. You know, and you don't really think Alec Baldwin, John Lithgow, oh Broadway stars, yeah, they've won Tonys. It's like okay, who cares? Um, but I guess they do, and probably other actors. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, being yeah. on a, a set or not a movie set, a being in a play and having to be with those people for however long, you know, I'm sure a lot of intimacy happens between people that you just met because you're working with them, you know, because you have to fall in love on stage right. or whatever, you know, and you have to do it. Every, it's not like a movie where it's like, oh, we're just doing this scene today. It's no, you're doing every scene every night. So that's a that's a bond again, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I know. I feel like there's not enough stage plays in my life. I don't yeah. Know, not much of a scene here where I live. The last thing I saw, last play I saw, I think, was in Brooklyn at the uh, at BAM, and it was King Lear and Franklin Gella played King Lear, and it was really cool. <laughs> you know Frank Langella? One of my favorite old... The name? Frank Langella. One of my favorite old actors. Like, when he's in something, even if it's a shitty movie, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. I okay. just love his whole vibe. King Lear is definitely not my favorite Shakespeare, but it's it's an interesting I love one. it. Kind of What's your favorite bizarre, Shakespeare? Bizarre store. Mine's, mine's Tempest, um, I, hands down. Love the okay. Tempest. Little on the nose. For me? Uh, no. <laughs> no, just in general. I oh, guess. really? Tempest. Tempest being supposedly the most personal Shakespeare, the ones about that's about him. Well, it seems stupid to say a minor work. Like, oh, I love two I love two gentlemen of Verona, but it's not my favorite. Oh yeah. I would agree with that. I mean Henry the Fourth, part one, I normally reference as my favorite. I've actually never seen all, never seen a version of it. That's where you get all the good Falstaff is in Henry the Fourth, Part One. Um, so in, anyway, so like if you if you like Falstaff and you like that story, that's where you're gonna get it. Yeah, I'm not saying the Tempest is the best. I'm saying it's the one I enjoy the most while it's happening. Oh sure. You know. Yeah. Or yeah. like Mer no, I, Merchant I, I, of the Four Seasons, Comedy of Errors. Those are also super enjoyable. But uh, I, Tempest is just like a thrill for, to me. I think it's so fun. Wait, whatever. It's all like, yeah, with Shakespeare, it's like different. Like, I, I really like, I like Shakespeare's relationships with, uh, like, relation, uh, relationships with relationships. Uh, his relationships between men and women or protege. Yeah, any, anyway, mm -hmm. a whole nother conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I gravitate to, like, I love Macbeth. I love the Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fourth Part Two, Henry the Fifth, that, that whole trilogy. At some point, uh, we should just have a Shakespeare season. That's a good theme. That's an easy theme. Well, it's... I have been thinking that we're doing this couples arguing, and, like, Macbeth is definitely a couples arguing... <laughs> Which uh, Macbeth a do we do? Story. I know. That's what I, th I honestly thought We about talked about doing a Macbeth that. season. Right, because there's so many different good versions. What if we end this season with Macbeth, and then it veers into the Shakespeare season? Veers into the... I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. I do think a Macbeth season is obnoxious. I don't know if I want to watch all the Macbeths in a row. But doing a Shakespeare season and doing more than one Macbeth could be cool. Okay. I've seen a lot of Shakespeare films, mm -hmm. and most of them are just interesting. <laughs> I, will, I will say yeah. that. There are some st this, some standouts we've talked about, like Chimes of Midnight, obviously, or the Roman Polanski Macbeth. And, Which I have not uh, seen. 
yeah, so there are some standouts that are just like really oh, are great films. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at Franklin Geller's Wikipedia now. Okay. And actually, it was not 2012. He did King Lear in 2013, which is when I saw it. And uh, but it says in the 80s he was in a, ver a production of The Tempest and he played Prospero. That'd be so cool. Oh look, he played Salieri in Amadeus. Huh. Anyway, I really like Franklin Geller. I uh, just want to put yeah. that, putting that out there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's, it sounds great. No, I mean, I feel like I would want to see any Shakespeare on stage if it's it's good. Even if it's not good, I guess I, I, I do love right. the language enough. Right. Uh, but, all right, I guess we're over we're for today. Over, yeah. yeah, all right, okay. I'm going to use the bathroom anyway. All, all right. right, so that's been <clears throat> Movie Victory, another exciting episode. Um, good luck on your travels. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Um, yeah. Playing exit music. Alright, good. Alright. Goodbye. Um Goodbye. Bye bye. This is this is the end. Mm -hmm.